My journey as a Superman fan started with a tattered red cape blowing in the wind. That ending rocketed me forward like a red-blue blur through a decade-long origin story and poignant tales of self-discovery and now fatherhood and backward to the character's very beginnings. Now, on this podcast, we journey together across time and media to examine the stories that have defined the Man of Steel. Welcome to Digging for Kryptonite, a Superman fan journey. I'm your host, Anthony Desiato. This is the villain of the story, part three. And joining me to discuss Lex Luthor, the nemesis of the 2000s, is returning guest, <laughs> sweet, sweet Bernie Gersmeyer. Welcome back. Hey, Anthony. Thanks for having me back, man. My pleasure. So over the preceding episodes, we've looked at the pre-crisis mad scientist version of Luther. We've looked at the post-crisis evil businessman version from the late 80s and 90s. And now we're turning our attention to that time, I would say beginning in the, in the early to mid-2000s and continuing throughout most of the rest of, of the aughts, where a number of pre-crisis elements from the, from the character crept back in. So his status as this renegade outlaw scientist, the green war suit, the purple and green jumpsuit, uh, variations in colors of kryptonite, uh, more of the Luther family tree, specifically Lionel and Lena. A lot, a lot came back, and probably most notably of all, and something that I know will be a big part of our discussion because it was the foundation of the Smallville TV series, Lex's past with Clark in Smallville. So a lot of these, these aspects of the character that had been jettisoned post-crisis started coming back. And I had very specific feelings about this when I was reading this at the time. This was now, just to put it in context for people, around the time of Infinite Crisis. So it started before and then really ramped up after Infinite Crisis. And I felt one way, a very specific way, as this was happening. And my perspective has almost totally shifted now in a very positive way. So I'm happy to share sort of what I found after going through this, this reading assignment. And I can't wait to compare notes with you. Just to set the table for the audience, this is the question I've been asking everyone. I guess first, first and foremost, I've been describing Luther as Superman's ultimate opponent. Is that a space that he occupies in your Superman fandom as well? Or would there, is there anyone else you would put above Luther in terms of a Superman antagonist? Yeah, I, I think I would put him as either one of or the ultimate nemesis. And in this era that we're talking about, I think he's the most confusing. Um, I think in pre-crisis and post-crisis is very cut and dry who Lex is. Lex is very sneaky in like the 2000s on because you start to see glimpses both in TV and comics where you're like, oh, wait, maybe I really care for Lex. And he's like, nope, gotcha. And, and, and every time he really does pull at your heartstrings to feel almost bad for Lex. And we, we're going to talk a ton about it over the material that we assigned for this one, but I enjoy that a little bit. It's, it's almost like a, like a jump scare in a horror movie where you're like, Whoa. And, and, and you still get caught every time. Like it's just a cat. <laughs> yes. And we will get into this, but that was exactly the thought I had watching. Oh brother, where art thou? The season four mm. episode of Supergirl that introduced John Cryer as, as exactly. the, the Arrowverse Lex, because that was a perfect example where you're watching that and you, 
it's like you know, and certainly upon rewatch, I know what happens. But even the first time yeah. around, it's like you know, you know the shoe, the other shoe is going to drop. You know, there's going to be some kind of twist. But it it does start to lull you into that false sense of security, and you start yes. to second guess, or you wonder if it might be a different kind of twist. And then it's like, nope, it's exactly what you thought because this is Luther. But the fact that they even get you you doubting that is a oh, testament yeah. to to the character. Now, this is the other question I've been asking everyone when when you think of Lex. Which version immediately springs to mind? Like which which iteration of Lex? Oh, and it, it could be comics or or uh, an adaptation. Like which iteration of Lex is nearest and dearest to you? Uh, I would say I have three, if that's okay. That's cheating, but all right. <laughs> uh, <laughs> all right. So like the one that comes to mind the most is Clancy Brown, Superman animated Lex in the black suit. Okay. Um, so I like wherever I see Lex, I, I, I'll, I won't cheat and I'll go there, but there is also that Michael Rosenbaum, um, 10, like, well, not 10 years, but that Smallville representation of that. And then also kind of the, the big bushy red hair Lex that I first really started reading again in the mid nineties. Good man. And Scott and I talked about that version of Lex in the last episode when we did the evil businessman version. And I I talked about how weird it was. And it's only now that I'm fully appreciating it. Because, you know, in my mind, it's like, oh, I grew up with the evil businessman version. It's like I did. But the one I spent the most time with, at least initially, was that period of time when Lex was posing as his own son in a cloned body. Like it was a weird, it was a weird way in for sure. And randomly Australian, right? (laughs) Yeah, Australian, which, and I think you and I even talked about this, or, or maybe Scott and I did when we did yeah. those, those Crisis Till Death episodes, but, you know, they established that he was from Australia in the earlier issues, but, you know, in the in the issues that I was primarily coming in with during death and, and, and rain, it's like, I don't know that they made a big deal out of it, so... No. In in going back, you know, over the past year or so, it's like, oh yeah, he was like, there's this whole yeah. aspect of the character. Like I never heard an Australian accent in my head when I was I was reading it. No. <laughs> so we're we're at this point. I, each episode that I've been doing so far, I'm like, oh, we're going to talk about Smallville in part three. We're going to talk about Smallville, and here yeah. we are. And so I'll, I'll give my answer now to the question that I've been asking everyone: the, the Michael Rosenbaum Smallville version of Lex that is nearest and dearest to me. I think. Mm-hmm. It's the most compelling and the it's the one that I just always gravitate toward. I think it out of all the characters on on Smallville, I think he had the fullest arc and and really went the greatest distance when you look at where he started and, and where he ended on the show. And I thought, you know, we're looking at so many comic book stories and TV shows and movies and cartoons. And uh, for the most part, I, I do think Lex... You know, Lex has been treated well across all these various iterations. Like we were talking off mic, but that's been one of my big takeaways now is we're pretty deep into this podcast event where I'm enjoying them all. They're, you know, they all have a little different flavor, but for the most part, uh, I, I'm really enjoying them. But out of everything, I feel like Smallville treated Lex the best and, and just was the most interesting, compelling depiction of the character. So he's the one when I think of Lex, that's what I go to first. So I might say something that is kind of controversial and I don't know if it's going to damage you or whatever, but I think Smallville actually does the most damage to the Lex character. And here's why. Okay. It, it really does make you ask the question. 
does Clark keeping his secret from Lex ultimately turn him into Lex Luthor? So I think everybody's idea of Lex Luthor is like, well, no, he he's Lionel Luthor's son. He's maniacal. He's egomaniac. He's a scientist. He's definitely evil. I don't think we really see until Smallville the possibility that if there is a history with Clark, like because Lex couldn't really ever find true friendship or trust, is that Clark's fault? Did, Did he almost create that? Okay, so no, I'm so glad you brought that up. That's a that's a that's a perfect question to ask, and I think that's a great jumping off point. So, mm-hmm. real quick, let me just lay out the material that you and I took a look at, and then I want to get yeah. to your question because this this is definitely something that I've been I've been kicking around myself. So, of course, we will talk about Smallville. There will probably be a lot of Smallville talk <laughs> sprinkled in throughout this episode. So, get ready. <laughs> okay. Uh, we also looked at the Public Enemies storyline from Superman Batman. Now, I covered that previously on the show when we looked at the right. entire Loeb run on Superman Batman, but that was in the context of of Loeb's run. This time we looked at it specifically as a Lex story. And I really do look at public enemies as this inflection point. I think Birthright technically had come like right before, but I really look at public enemies as this inflection point. Once Lex, once Lex's presidency ends and he dons that war suit towards the end of it, it's like we've, we've crossed a threshold here. And what's yeah. interesting, we'll talk about this, there is an opportunity in the Up, Up, and Away storyline where they could have put the genie back in the bottle, but they didn't. Nope. Uh, so it, it's not that public enemies is... is everything but i really do view that as as an inflection point there okay uh we also have like i just said the up up and away storyline which a very underrated story i liked it at the time and i kind of forgot about it over all of these years this was a 2008 2009 story i think it was this was right after infinite crisis i will i will go as far i wrote in my notes that i believe that that is probably one of the best superman lex moments of all time in that story arc I, I'm, I'm with you. So this was a Kurt Busiek, Jeff Johns, Pete Woods story, eight-part mm-hmm. storyline between yeah. Superman and Action Comics. This was during the one-year-later era, uh, post-Infinite Crisis. Probably not 2008, 2009, but a little bit earlier. I think I, I put it too yeah. far back. But uh, very, very underrated story. I know it was eight issues. I know it was kind of a lot, but I appreciate you. because, And I, I can't oh, tell no. you how much I enjoyed uh, going back to that. Uh, we also have a couple of key issues from Birthright and Secret Origins, specifically the issues that dealt with Lex's past in Smallville. And we also have the Boy of Steel arc from Adventure Comics, written by Jeff Johns and drawn by mm-hmm. Francis Manipal. And that was after Connor Kent Superboy had returned to life during the uh, Legion of Three Worlds arc during the Final Crisis event uh, and set up shop in, in Smallville, living with Ma Kent, and was trying to reconcile this dual parentage, right? He found out that he has 50% yeah. DNA from Superman and 50% from Lex. And he's trying to figure out sort of what, what path he can chart for himself. And is there any good in Lex? Uh, which leads to uh, a lot of a lot of interesting moments, uh, and then of course we mentioned the Supergirl episode from season four, Oh Brother, Where Art Thou, that introduced uh, John Cryer. So that's what we what we looked at for this. Oh, and actually, before I circle back to your the Lex question, now I'm not trying to de- delay answering this, but <laughs> but I, I just the, the other thing that I wanted to ask because you know talking about all these pre crisis elements coming back. I mean, when I think mm-hmm. Bronze Age and my podcast guests, I immediately go to you, like you're my Bronze Age guy. So I'm just curious, when these elements started coming back into the cat, were you, were you happy about this? Were you, were you not? Were you mixed? Like, how did you feel at the time about this as someone who, who had affection for the Bronze Age? Well, it's funny, like, not to upset anybody in the audience, but Lex Luthor is one of my least favorite aspects of the Bronze Age, the Superman comics. I think 
I, I I've never liked his depiction then. I like it more. I don't know whether it's because I I think as a I guess late teen or adult was reading more Lex Luthor of the nineties. When I go back, I'm just annoyed by that Lex a lot. I think it's very caricature and not true identity of Lex. Um, yeah, I, I don't <laughs> I don't love it. I'm sorry to say, I like it a lot more. To be honest, in the 2000s. Okay, fair enough. And I, I will say this: you know, we, I did my pre-crisis Lex and comics episode, but you know, and Rich Roney was my guest for that, and we did read a selection of stories across gold and silver and, and bronze, but we primarily read Silver Age. And we focused a lot on the Lexor arc, which I found particularly and surprisingly compelling. Mm. There was one thing, Rich and I, I don't think we said this explicitly in that episode because when we, we had a, our, our post-episode phone call about it, and he was like, oh, I meant to say this. So I'm going to actually cite oh, Rich and I'm going to mention this now. And I think his, his point is well taken. In a lot of those Silver Age stories, you, you did get the sense that Lex as much as he enjoyed the adoration of this planet that had taken him in and viewed him as a hero, uh, it, there did seem to be a genuine sense of, of affection for this planet and, and people. Mm -hmm. By the time we get to the Bronze Age, and specifically uh, Action 544, the rebirth storyline where, where Lexor is destroyed, ultimately it's Lex's fault, but of course he blames Superman. But in the lead up to that, you know, he's sort of terrorizing the planet. He creates this villain that he feels will kind of be a diversion for Superman, but, it, but, it, but it's him yeah. And even just in his attitude and his comments towards the planet and towards the people, it seemed to be rather divorced from yeah. the more affectionate version that we had gotten in the Silver Age. So to your point, yeah, I could see kind of being a little bit fed up with that version by the time we, we get to the end of the pre-crisis era. Yeah, Silver Age, I, I, I'm i more okay with. Uh, Bronze Age, again, it's that split. It's like why you really shouldn't be divorcing yourself from humanity. Um, if anything, you should be sticking up for it and more frustrated with the alien. And it's, that's why I don't like it. I don't, I don't enjoy that aspect of it as much, but I like the earlier iterations of it. I hear you. That makes sense. So we were talking about this off mic. When I was originally reading these stories from public enemies forward, mm -hmm. I did not, I did not like the return of the pre-crisis Lex. And even though I hadn't really read much, I had read barely any pre-crisis Superman other than whatever happened to the man of tomorrow and maybe a couple of other stories. Right. But I knew, I knew what they were pulling from. I knew enough to know like, okay, like the war suit was, you know, I knew where that all about, all of that was coming from. And I sort of my cynical take at the time, I just felt like we're regressing. Mm -hmm. I felt like, well, Jeff Johns and Jeff Loeb, they love the silver age. That's what they grew up with. And that's what they're injecting back into the character. And this is not quote unquote, my Lex. That's yeah. how I felt at the time. And I felt that, and we talked about this last time that, you know, the idea it's so compelling that Lex, the businessman sort of is always able to get away with it. Superman can't prove his, his misdeeds right. as much as he knows it. And then Lex holds that over him and all, all of that. And I felt like that was a compelling take and it was, you know, we had moved into a new era of Lex and now we were going back. Yeah. And that's always how I felt until now. And my view has changed for two reasons. Number one, I've now read so many of those pre-crisis stories. And now I have some of that same affinity for the pre-crisis Lex. So to see those elements come back, but to be told through a modern storytelling lens, yeah. it's it's pretty cool to see Ed McGinnis draw draw Lex oh, in that green yeah. war suit or to see Francis Manipal draw him, you know, in the in the you know the 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 prison, the prison garb in that boy of steel arc. So that changed my perspective. And then the other one, I have to cite your fellow guest, Scott, who was on the last episode. Mm. And he said this in this episode. I've been thinking about it over the past week. I was like, you know, 
this really made a lot of, this kind of unlocked it for me. Scott's argument was that Lex as the president was sort of the culmination, the climax of the evil businessman iteration of the character. And it sort of begs the question, it's like, well, where could you go next? Now, of course, you can, he could return to the corporate side. I mean, there are plenty of things he could do. He could start a social media platform or his own network, a la the real life person he's, that uh. version was largely based on. <laughs> there are clearly places you can go. However, right. you know, we had, we had gone through that, you know, for, you know, since, since the you know, mid to late 80s. So yeah. that kind of changed the way I looked at it. So, so kudos to Scott, because I was in now rereading Public Enemies. I'm like, yeah, like mm-hmm. this doesn't really feel like the culmination of the post-crisis Lex from the businessman to the president, this idea of, you know, him creating this facade that really fools the public, not Superman, but the public and Superman can't put him away. And, and he's at the top of the corporate world. And then he ascends to an even higher position, the highest position, you know, one, one can have in the country and Superman feels so betrayed by that. So the idea that that sort of marks the end of, of that version of the character but not totally, because it's not like we get a total revamp. His, you know, his past as that businessman does remain intact. So it, we end up with more of an amalgam of the pre and post crisis in the stories right. that we're talking about. And overall, I think that works. So, so those two those two factors really kind of flipped my whole view on it, which I'm happy to say because now I'm able to enjoy these stories when in the past I kind of didn't. I kind of Public Enemies is a very interesting read because it's really the quickest transition because over over six issues you trans he transforms like from that calm collected president to just maniacal power suit and it's really really cool how he does it yes and which we'll get into but to go back to your question so Smallville inspired the name of this event, the villain of the story, because of course right. in the season four episode <laughs> Onyx, Lex is split in two, into his good half and bad half after uh, a mishap with black kryptonite. And he has one of the iconic moments of the series when he confronts Clark and the Kents in the barn. And he says, you were right about me all along, Mr. Kent. I am the villain of the story. Great. It's one of those moments you're watching it at the time. It's like, oh my God, like you're waiting for that. Yeah. So that inspired the the title of this event. And then the season six episode Nemesis inspired the specific title of this episode. Do you remember that one? Remind me, which is that one? Because that's not one of my top five. Okay. So this is man, this is one of my favorite episodes of, of the whole show and definitely of the the latter the latter part of the series. But Clark and Lex, their friendship now has been over for a season and a half, and they're trapped underground in the mines. And there's Oh yes. Yes, and he leaves. Like Clark goes to leave, or no? It, one of them is trapped under wreckage, isn't it? Is that what happens? Clark is trapped, right? And it looks okay. like Lex is leaving, uh, right? But then he comes That's back, it. and and he saves him. Mm-hmm. And again, they haven't been friends for a long time. They haven't had as many of those scenes together, and this forced right. them into that situation to really confront what's gone on between them. And Clark says to Lex at one point, he says, were we ever really friends? And Lex says, I honestly wouldn't know. I don't have anything to compare it to. You're the only friend, the only real friend I've ever had until you turned your back on me and saw me as your nemesis. And the way I prepared the Smallville piece of this episode was I, I sat down with my iPad and I opened up Hulu 
which is where Smallville is streaming. And, you know, I know the show so well that I was just going season by season episode, but like I knew the, <laughs> like I knew the moments I wanted to hit. And then I was okay. scrubbing through to find the scene that I wanted. What was interesting was to see, to see these, these recurring, uh, recurring pieces of dialogue. Like, and now you can argue this was lazy recycled writing or that they were creating a motif because between season six and seven in particular, there are at least, because I didn't go through everything, but there are at least four instances of Lex claiming that someone, usually Clark, turned their back on him. And the fourth one is uh, in the season seven episode persona, uh, he confronts his his cloned brother, Julian. Oh, yes. Yeah. Right. Because Lex has warned him to stay away from Lionel. And Julian's like, no, like I'm going to build a relationship with him. And Lex, like, you turned your back on me. And then he later has Julian killed uh, at the end of the episode. Uh, but the other instances, they're all directed towards Clark. This is, if you turned your back on me, you turned your back on me. And there are other other sort of echoes of that in, in other stories, like in Up, Up, and Away, when uh, Lex and Superman have their final physical battle at the end. Yeah. You know, Lex, again, is talking about how, like, I had everything. I had the city in the palm of my hand, and then they turned from me to you. He doesn't use the literal words, turned your back, but right. it's still that same idea of this betrayal. Like, this is a person who feels very betrayed and going back to what scott and i talked about last time someone truly incapable of love and you know we can get into that more because there are a lot of instances of that but uh in any event that that particular episode of smallville and the echoes of, of that dialogue and those sentiments uh really resonated with me so at the end of that nemesis episode clark has a heart to heart with martha and he brings up exactly what you just said where he's like i saw something down there in the mines that i haven't seen in years my friend and he goes, part of me wonders, like, if part of Lex, you know, who Lex turned out to be is is because of me. So I, I think it's a valid question. It's one that I think as a viewer you're you're meant to have. I think it's one that Clark has. But I don't think, I mean, I don't think that hurts the the character of Lex or anything like, I mean, I think it, I think it makes it interesting. Like, I don't like the idea if it's totally one-sided. It's like, yeah, Clark, Clark might bear a little bit of responsibility here. Yeah. So I, yeah, I mean, I, so I, I think that is a, here's the thing would i go so far as to say yeah lex uh, you know clark is responsible i don't think i would go that far but i think it's right. a valid enough question at least so but i don't see that as a i don't see that as any kind of negative or anything that takes away from the character because i don't think that's the here's the thing if clark is culpable and i do mm -hmm. think there's an argument to be i'm going to make it in a minute i do think there's an argument to be made <laughs> but at the same okay. time it's not the sole factor okay i i do always wonder and, and, you know, you see a lot of um, what if or Elseworld stuff that's always done. It'd be so interesting to see a dive in where instead of Clark keeping the secret from Lex, think about the resources that Lex had. And if if Clark let him in, even against his parents' wishes, if they teamed up in a way, how... Awesome. Lex could have used his resources to really help Clark keep his identity secret, but almost helped him become Superman sooner and do these things. And I and you see throughout the first three or four seasons of, of Smallville, Lex is just like Clark. Just let me in. Like just let me in. I wanna. I wanna. I wanna help. I wanna know what's going on. And it just, that door keeps getting shut. And every time that door is shut in Lex's face, that hurts. And I mean, 
even if it's not a Clark and Lex thing, you know, like if that happened in a personal, real friendship, that would cause some serious trauma or like damage thinking like, who am I? Like, why can't I receive love? Why can't I receive trust? Is there something wrong with me? And like that, I think that's what ultimately could push Lex towards the dark side. So uh, to your, to your earlier point, yeah. One of my regrets with Smallville and I did a whole two and a half hour episode about all the things I <laughs> wish it had or hadn't done. Yeah. But I, I do wish, you know, they did a few what if episodes along the way, but they never did one where we got to see what would have happened if he had told Lex. And I, I yeah. do think that's a missed opportunity. I think that would have been interesting. Yeah. Uh, in, in looking at a lot of key Lex moments over the course of the show, again, this idea of being unable to love really, you know, really became very clear. And it's, again, there's the, 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 the friendship with Clark and then its deterioration obviously plays such a key role in his journey, but, but it's, but like I said, it's not everything. So, right. You know, it's established fairly early on that Lex and Lionel think that Lex killed baby Julian, his little brother, right? Because Lionel mm -hmm. walked in and Lex was standing over the crib. And right. then there's a season three episode, Memoriam, where Lex undergoes this process to recover his lost memories and yeah. realizes that it was actually his late mother, Lillian, who had killed Julian because to, to save him from the mm -hmm. parentage of Lionel, who over the course of the series is the master manipulator and just puts Lex through the ringer yeah. emotionally, psychologically, physically at, at times. Mm -hmm. And of course that's you know such a, you know, the, the juxtaposition, the contrast between the parenting of Lionel versus Jonathan Kent, and that becomes a driving theme in the series. But, yes. and Lionel of course has his own redemption arc as, as the series goes on, but certainly in those early seasons, uh, it's, it's really an antagonistic role uh, towards Lex. And, and so, you know, that was one of the things I thought about the fact that, you know, one of Lex's earliest memories, which he represses, but then of course later, later recovers is, you know, seeing his mother quote unquote show love by, by killing. And in the series finale of the show, I know I'm jumping around here, but bear with me yeah. people. I give context for everything in the series finale of the show in Lex's final scene, he kills his sister Tess or Lutessa Lena Luther. Right. And he says he's doing it to protect her, to save her from becoming like him. It's so twisted. But this idea of, of killing your your own family to in this misguided attempt to protect, it's like it goes back to the very beginning for him. And of course, she has the best reply. Do you remember? No. What did she say? Because that's, that's when she's, isn't that also when she gives him the toxin? We're going to get back to that. Okay. <laughs> I've got a lot of thoughts on that. All right. Yeah. <laughs> but she says it's too late. Clark already saved me. Oh. Uh, and, and, you know, which, you know, that had been a big part of the final couple of seasons, but yeah. you know, there's that. And, and certainly Lex's moment of, of killing his own father yep. in, in that season seven episode. And Man, you're just rattling off my favorite Lex moments. While, I'm sorry. While you're <laughs> <laughs> it's okay. But no, but just this idea of within the family dynamic, at least, but then even beyond that in season six, he marries Lana yeah. And initially, you know, she's a, a she's a willing participant in the relationship. But by the time we get to the altar, she's forced into it by Lionel. And then Lex tricks her into thinking she's pregnant. It's very dark and mm. twisted. Yeah. But at the end of season six, Clark finally reveals his secret to Lana and she, and she decides to leave Lex. And do you remember the scene at the end of season six? Because this is one of my favorite Lex moments. Now, is this is this when Lana is basically forced to not be around Clark ever again. Is that what you're referring to? No, that happened earlier. 
that was actually Lionel manipulating her into marrying Lex. No, I'm talking about why I'm talking about like why she can never be around Clark anymore. So that's season eight. Oh gosh. Okay, man. (laughs) But no, no, it's all. So she has this scene, this confrontation with Lex where she tells him she's leaving. Okay. And she, she literally says to him what this, this theme that we've been talking about, she says to him, like, you don't know how to love. The reason why this, this moment really stands out to me. I don't, I don't like what Lex does in it, but what it shows about Lex was very telling and really illustrated where he was in his journey. And the way this was staged and acted was really, really well done because at a certain point in the scene, Lana's like blocking the door and then like Lex walks past her and it looks like he's going to walk through the doors and the scene's going to be over. And based on all the scenes we've watched on the show, you know, people, you know, they have their confrontation in the mansion, you know, in the study and then they, they walk out. Yeah. And you think that's where it's going. But Lex stops at the doors and he closes them. And he turns around and you get like, it's just the, you know, it's a tense scene to begin with, but it's just like the the tone gets even darker because it's like, oh, like he's not letting her leave. Like where where is this going? And the sort of the final precipitating moment is when Lana, he says, is this about Clark? And she's like, you know, he means more to me than you ever will. He hits her. He physically strikes her. And, you know, it's tough to watch and you don't like that the character did it, but it really just shows where he is. And and as as difficult as the actual slap is to watch, it was the closing of the doors that it was just like, oh, like we've really, we've really crossed this threshold here. Uh, and, and the character is so much further along this, this dark journey. But I, again, I know, you know, talking about this for a bit, but just this idea of the, the inability to love. And, and we talked about the family side, but even in this, in this romantic relationship with Lana, it's, uh, it, it you know it's built on deception and control and manipulation and it's like that's all he knows based on well, how and, he was raised and that's exactly what i was going to say thinking about that is the further along the story he goes he's it's this very interesting uh contrast of lex never wanting to be his father but ultimately turning into him like every time he makes a step towards not being lionel the way he's responded to or the way events unfold, it forces him back on the road towards Lionel. And like, that's a perfect example. Like what he did there, like Alex, like that was going towards the journey of trying to be better, would leave and let it rest. Lionel would close the door and go back and take control again. Like that, it's just a master in manipulation, like you're saying. So that always made me sad where you could then go, oh, like he he's another step closer. It's like watching Star Wars, you know, it's 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 like, oh, now he's leading one more step towards the dark side. He he, he makes this choice um, that always made me sad when Lex was trying desperately is like, please, I just I just want somebody to trust, care and love me. But then he gets betrayed. If you look at all the relationships over the course of this of the show, not Lana, but just what was it, Helen, and then all the different people throughout just betray him. Exactly, and and going back to what you know your, your original question about Clark's culpability in this, yeah, I feel like Clark comes off the worst in in one of my favorite Lex moments, and it's in the season seven episode Descent after Lex has killed Lionel, their confrontation in the in the mansion. And did that scene stand out to you as well? That was, that's my number five. <laughs> nice, nice, nice. Yeah, that, that's on my list. And, yeah. you know, the thing about it, there's, 
again, Lex talks about how Clark, you know, you turned your back on me. Yeah. You never turn your back on Lex. That's the takeaway here. If you turn your back on him, if he feels you have turned your back on him, you're done. Mm-hmm. But Clark says to him, I tried to be your friend, Lex, but all you care about is power and control. And Lex's comeback was maybe one of the purest moments for the character. He goes, this is Smallville. Meteor freaks, alien ships, cryptic symbols. These threats are real and someone has to protect us. And this is where Clark kind of lost a few points for me. I'm paraphrasing, but he's something to the effect of like, you know, you sound delusional, Lex. And it's like, here's the thing. It's one thing about protecting your own secret, but there's all this stuff. And this is the, this is the other big part of Lex, right? There's manipulation, there's betrayal. There's all this stuff in his life. He can't explain. Oh yeah. And the person who he knows, he knows has the answers, just continually lies to him. And it's like, yeah, what effect does that have on you? That's got to screw you up. Well, to use like a modern term, like Clark just gaslights Lex the entire show. Yeah. And sometimes, like you said, not because he has to, he's just so used to doing it at a certain point that now he doesn't realize what damage he's actually doing to Lex. And then pushes Lex over the edge and then you see it towards the end of the show. Yeah, for sure. But, and you know, we'll, I don't want to make it sound like we're done with small, but we'll, we'll, we'll keep talking about it. I know yeah. I want to get into the comic stories, but the other big line from Smallville from the finale in particular, that always stood with st- has stuck with me for over 10 years now. And that I think mm-hmm. kind of sums these two guys up for me is when Lex returns and he says to Clark, we have a destiny together only on different sides. Like yeah. these two men, the way I see the dynamic are so intrinsically linked and Mm -hmm. the idea that maybe Clark could have set Lex on a, on a better path or maybe, maybe something could have been different in the end. I think probably not. I think between Lex's nature, you know, throughout the show we see, you know, there are various devices they use like when he's in his head and he sees the, you know, the, the, the good version of him, the little boy and yeah. uh, Or when he split off into the, you know, the, in, in the Onyx episode that we talked about, the show establishes there is darkness inside of him. So there is that that nature. But maybe he could have overcome that with different nurture, with a different environment. And I think there were just too many things stacked against him. And sad to say, Clark, at a certain point, is one of them. Yeah. But I think that's so interesting. Like, that's the thing. Clark doesn't, you know, it's not like I want Clark sullied up so much, but it's like, you know, he he can he can have a little bit of that on him. I think that makes it more interesting. Yeah, I agree. I totally agree. And even you see it in that hourglass episode in the early part of season one where Lex first, that's one of my moments too. Lex first sees the vision of the future and he's scared. Actually, he doesn't respond with, Ooh, am I going to be in charge? Like he's, he, you can see the look of dread on his face. Like, what does that mean? Why all the blood? Why all the skulls? Like, am I really in charge? I'm not sure I like this. And and, and it, it's not ego. It's it's fear. And that's that would be a turning point if somebody had helped him there going, like, okay, no, we can do this together. It's okay. Yeah, he's he's truly, I, I really feel like he's a he's a tragic figure. And the show yeah. demonstrated and the comics. His, yeah. And the comics. He's damaged. Yeah. He's ultimately damaged. He is. Uh, but the show, I think, more than almost anything else, really showed his humanity, and mm-hmm. and especially getting to see him in those early seasons. Like he's the nicest guy in town, and and you know there there is that element that genuinely, 
I guess that's the, the line though. It's like genuinely wanting the friendship with Clark versus wanting what Clark has, wanting, mm-hmm. wanting the parents, wanting the, the, you know, the love of someone like Lana. Uh, you know, I'm sure I guess a little bit, a little bit of both, but uh, very interesting. So let's take a quick commercial break and then we will continue unpacking all of this. We'll be right back. Acme Comics is a locally owned and operated full-service comic book store in Greensboro, North Carolina for people of all ages and walks of life. Since 1983, this nine-time Eisner Award nominee uses their collective knowledge and resources to connect you with the best material available. They pride themselves on their significant contemporary and vintage back-issue selection. Mail order subscriptions to new releases are available, and all offerings are available to anyone, anywhere, via mail order. Follow Acme on social media and eBay, listen to the Acme cast on all podcast services, and visit acmecomics.com for much more. Film lovers and filmmakers should check out this family of film festivals, Brightside Tavern in Jersey City, Hang On to Your Shorts in Asbury Park, Point Lookout on Long Island, and In the Cut in Bloomfield, New Jersey. I was fortunate enough to have my work shown at these festivals, and I found them to be very enjoyable and well-run events. Submission information for filmmakers, as well as details about the festivals generally, can be found at filmfreeway.com. Follow the festivals on social media for news and updates about events, discounts, tickets, and more. Also, be sure to listen to the Hang On To Your Shorts and Cullen On Film podcasts available via a shared universe network. Fat Moose Comics is New Jersey's best and oldest comic book store. Established in 1982 and currently under new ownership, Moose sells a wide selection of new and old comics from every publisher, action figures, graphic novels, posters, statues, and more. If you're looking for something and they don't have it, they can probably get it for you. They know a guy. Visit Fat Moose in Whippany the next time you're in the Garden State, and be sure to reach out via the Fat Moose Comics Facebook page. Flat Squirrel Productions is an affiliate of BCW Supplies. The next time you need to restock on comic book bags, boards, boxes, and more, be sure to use promo code FSP, that's FSP for Flat Squirrel Productions, to save 10% on your order, and it helps support the show. Thank you. And we're back. So again, we'll circle back to Smallville, but let's get into uh, some of these other stories, particularly the comic book stories uh, that we read. So especially upon upon now did you re-read public enemies or did you watch the animated movie i reread public enemies nice i i like the animated film but i i'll, I'll always want to go back and any any chance to see emma guinness artwork is what i'm going to take a chance to do i hear i got it so i actually i ended up doing both because i hadn't rewatched the movie in a really long time and yeah. it's one of my favorites it's it was you know a lot of the dc animated movies they've They've moved away from emulating the style of the artist whose work they're adapting. Yeah, but unfortunately. For, but for this yeah. one, they really drew from Ed McGinnis, yeah. and it's great to see. And, you know, they brought back Kevin Conroy, Clancy Brown, and, and Tim Daly, and it was just so cool. Even though it wasn't set technically within the continuity of the Bruce Tim verse, it really, right. it really had that feel, and especially with those voice actors. It was a lot of fun. Well, I, and also I know this is going to sound like weird, but any chance I can... Uh, validate why I own the amount of trade paperbacks that I own. I was very, I was like, oh, good. I get to take Birthright and Secret Origin and this off the shelf and actually use it. And it's not just sitting on the shelf anymore. So I, 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 I reread Public Enemies actually today. That was the last thing I read today. Nice. And so for anyone who's not familiar, I know it's a very well-known story, but giant kryptonite asteroid heading for Earth. 
and uh, Lex declares uh, Superman public enemy, he puts a billion dollar bounty on his head, blames him for drawing this asteroid to Earth, and so Superman and Batman have to team up to escape this army of metahumans who have come after them to collect the bounty, uh, while at the same time actually trying to stop the asteroid from uh, from colliding with, with Earth. Um, the animated movie spins it a little bit differently. Uh, Lex frames Superman for the murder of Metallo, and uses oh. that to put the bounty on his head. The asteroid is okay. still coming, but that's not what he pins on Superman. So it changes it. it up a little bit, but the broad strokes still remain the same. So how did this hold up for you uh, on reread? It holds up really well, but like, it's very interesting. I said this to you before we started recording. Over the course, I wrote this down. Over the course of the issues, Lex goes from calm, collected, and caring about Superman and making sure like, we take care of him first, and then it shifts to cold and calculated, um, emotionless. It's 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 Superman's fault to then full on like won't listen to anybody. Maniacal off the deep end. I'm in a power suit. I'm gonna off everybody. Um, it's great though. Like it is. Oh gosh, what's the best way to? It's almost. Uh, like not satirical. That's not the word. It's it's such it's such an exaggerated big approach to the characters i think it's like a blockbuster i mean yes, that's really, it's like a summer movie yeah i and it came out I, it came out in the summer if i remember yeah. correctly and i remember uh, it was just started working at my local comic shop like i remember when it came out and it was so exciting because you know i was such a fan of the jeff Loeb ed mcginnis run on the superman title and then they had left and shortly thereafter launched this ongoing superman batman series and it was going to you know, uh, resolve this thread of Lex as president. Oh, you've got your poster there. Of the I just uh, realized it's right behind me. Beautiful. Yeah, that's that's one of my favorite things from when that comic came out is the ads they did for it. That it was a big deal too, Anthony. Because I'm trying to think, what year was this that it came out? Do you remember? It's what like did you 2003. Say? Yeah, like there wasn't really a Superman Batman book for I want to say decades. I, I don't think not an on. You're right. Not since World's Finest, uh, before they started doing, they, they got rid of the title. There were two uh, World's Finest miniseries that they did right. like in the late 80s and, or, and, and 90s, but not, but not an ongoing. Month, not a monthly, right? Yeah. yeah. It was a big deal. Everybody was super excited. And then they get this as the first story, and it went bananas. And it went for quite a long time, too. Yeah, for sure. Uh, you're not wrong. Lex does deteriorate very quickly the if i have one qualm about the story <laughs> in both the movie and the comic it, it it's not only how quickly he turns but the fact that it seems motivated largely by this uh bane venom and kryptonite concoction that he's injecting with himself with which yeah. very clearly seems to be mess i mean it's it's enhancing his his body yeah. Uh, but it also seems to be wreaking havoc on his mind. And I just felt like, why? Yeah. Why and do we and there's this? a line. There's a line at the early part of the story arc where he even says, you don't have to tell me about the effects of kryptonite poisoning. And then it's like, dude, you're being affected right now. by kryptonite. Like, that's the issue. You're just jacking yourself up with it and you're going off the deep end that I found that amusing. Even as reading it, I was like, does he understand what's happening? <laughs> yeah, a hundred percent. Like that doesn't really track. And also, I think the thing that bothered me was, like I said, you know, what was the what was the purpose of this from a 
from a narrative standpoint, I mean, other than other than to expedite his mental descent, but you know, he ultimately dons the war suit and engages Superman physically in the suit. Like, here's mm-hmm. the thing: if he ended up fighting Superman hand to hand because right. he has this bane venom flowing through him, it's like, okay, I get why you did this. But if you're just going to put him in the suit anyway, it felt we. It just felt like. I felt that that did a disservice to the character. It's like if you want to have him lose it, yeah, let him lose it. Don't don't right. give him that. Now, I guess you could argue the decision to juice himself in that way was him losing it, but it was an odd choice. I still don't like it. Well, you do one or the other, like you said. Either get all venomed up through kryptonite and then be a superpowered being, or just do what you want to do with the gimmick and put the suit on, but don't go. Just still be cold and calculating Lex Luthor, but in the suit. But the two, the two didn't seem to work right off each other. And I didn't, I didn't like even the very, very last page where he's got like the crazy eyes and veins coming out. It, it's just odd. It threw me off. But then it, it kind of dissipates in the next story arc. So it's fine. Right, right. I mean, I guess. And again, I just reread and rewatched, but I'm, you know, I'm wondering, was there enough? how do I put this absent the, the venom and him really going off the deep end. Was there enough for them to have really taken him down? Like did, I guess more from a plot point, did you need that? Because it's like, you know, the asteroids, I mean, the main thing that, that keeps coming up, especially in the comic is that he's made this alliance with dark side. Yeah. Right. And the dark side is the one who supplied him with the suit and told him about the asteroid coming. So that seems to be some, dirty business there but you know would that have been enough to topple lexus presidency i I don't know so part of me wonders if that was more a matter of convenience it's like we need something to like really show like this guy is unfit to be president so we'll do this but i I feel like that like i said i do think that did a disservice to the character it was as much as i love going back to read this story you can tell very similar to a summer movie how (laughs) there are beats that you have to hit in a summer movie that make it a summer movie. I feel like, for example, there was no reason to have future Superman come back and beat up present Superman. They're really, they, they didn't really even explain that thoroughly. So I, I just think it was almost like we want to hit this, 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 and this make it a big blockbuster, come back to Superman, Batman, and then we'll, and then we'll start the ongoing monthly. So that's, that's the way I see it. Yeah, no, I think that's true. And what's funny is the animated movie completely jettisons the the future Superman come, which makes yes. sense, like, because it really lifts right out of it. Yeah, uh, you know, there, there's so much. Obviously, there's so much great uh, interplay between Superman and Batman, and I you know we've we've covered that before. But you know, the narration and, and getting to see how oh. how well each of them knows yeah. the other is great. That's so that's so good, and it's actually so kind inside the narration. How they like respect each other in the narration, but they don't always say it in person, which is kind of interesting. Yes. And little moments too, like when uh, they're carrying each other through the sewers to the Batcave and Superman's yeah. been shot with the kryptonite bullet. And there's just this little little moment where Superman's like, whatever happened to Magpie? <laughs> Batman's like, I think she died. I <laughs> and Clark's like, why don't yeah. any of the good villains ever die? And Batman's like, what the hell is a good yeah, villain? <laughs> that's, that's what I love when Batman says, what the hell is a good villain? <laughs> like, yeah, I, I, I enjoy the story, but it's not, it's not great. 
it's yeah i mean I, I, again i i do think there like i said like like you said there are some of those beats there that do sort of feel you know like they're they're there for for the reasons we talked about but overall it's a, it's a lot of fun and again i think really is like a big fun culmination to this president lex story yeah. and I mean, look i've said in the past that i kind of wished you know, I, I know Clark ultimately gets to write the story about Luther's downfall, but I, I guess part of me wishes that Clark, the reporter, could have played more of a role in all of this. I know at the end of Loeb's run on the main Superman book, he had set up this thing where, you know, Perry had fired Clark from the planet, but it was all a ruse and Clark was going to be working on the and That never went anywhere. So stuff like that feels like a missed opportunity. But the Lex piece is that that really stood out to me here. And it's actually more it's more prevalent in the movie. So in both instances, there's an attempt to break up the asteroid by firing uh, missiles at it, right? They use a boom yeah. tube to get the, the missiles there, and it doesn't work. Right. The animated movie makes it a lot more explicit that Lex messed up, that he didn't properly account for the radiation from the asteroid causing the, the bombs to detonate too early. Oh, okay. And not that this is the biggest deal in the world, but it was one of those things where it's like, you know, this comes up, especially in Up, Up, and Away and Boy of Steel that we also read. Mm-hmm. This idea that, but for Superman, Lex would cure cancer and solve all of the all of humanity's ills, like all of this. And and yet, in so many of these, you know, Rich and I talked about this a lot of the pre-crisis stories, even going back to Lex's mm-hmm. Silver Age origin in adventure comics, right? Where he causes this lab fire and Superboy tries to save him and he oh, uses yeah. the super breath and inadvertently causes Lex's baldness. But you know, that's what Lex fixates on, not the fact that his own incompetence caused the fire in the first place. So again, just this idea of of Lex using Superman as as this excuse, yet when he has yeah. his moment to shine, it's like, he, he you know, he, he doesn't have what it takes. Uh, well, and we'll get to it when we talk about Adventure Comics, we'll get to this, how there is, there's more to that too, where he could do it, but he could also not do it. You know what? This was one of the big questions that I wanted to ask you. And I think yeah. we don't have to go in a linear fashion here. And I think yeah. this is a good connection point because this was something that uh, I'm still kind of wrestling with. So in this Boy of Steel arc, uh, you know, long story short, we find out that, the, and this had been established pre-crisis, but now for the first time post-crisis, Lex's sister, Lena, is is in the picture. And uh, she's in a wheelchair and her mental mm-hmm. uh, you know, faculties have diminished. Yeah. And uh superboy challenges lex to to help her he's like you always say you could do it so so do it and lex does he 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 creates this serum that lets her stand up and her mind is clear and then he takes it all away oh, and it's terrible the th- and he injects her with something else that that removes it and yeah. the you know what stood out to me was the cruelty and that's been a running theme in these stories especially with the the evil businessman version and it continues here this this really cruel streak in the character but then i said to myself i don't i don't know if i like this idea that lex actually is capable of doing that before i i go any further what what do you what do you like especially in that boy of steel sword do you like this notion that yeah he actually can do these things well there were a number of things in that in that story art that i really loved because it it did kind of change the spin but he the the line they says and i think you put this maybe in a post but miracles don't exist but lex luther does now this is a thing that we haven't always seen we see lex be evil we see lex 
do evil things. Now Lex has a God complex. So now he loves the fact that he can literally manipulate life and death and people's quality of life. Like, why would you not just create the cure, but then create the disease also so you can give it back to your sister? That's messed up. Like, again, he says miracles don't exist, but Lex Luthor does. A, a, a benevolent God does the miracle. An evil, terrible God puts evil onto somebody else or, or takes things away. That was frightening to me. And, and he even, this is a little quote that he said, but he said, I wouldn't mind kicking Superman's dog. Yeah. Like that was another line that I was like, ooh, that's kind of like right. crypto's crypto's just laying there also in pain. I'm like, dude, you're gonna kick a guy's dog? Like, that's not okay. You know, this was one of the questions that I asked Scott last time, and I, I continue to think about it is how much humanity should Lex have? Because there are a mm. lot of stories and a lot of the ones that we talked about last time, and even here now, and you cited two perfect examples from the Boy yeah. of Steel arc. And you know, you can make the argument he has none because it's like if there were anything that might pull at whatever humanity he has, you would think it would be yeah. his his incapacitated sister. And that's clearly not enough. And that's why, I, I, I again, I go back to the, the Smallville iteration of the character because mm -hmm. I could never see Rosenbaum's Lex doing that. Right. And... That's where I feel like it's it's a it's a bridge too far, and and that's yeah. why I think why I did like a lot of those Silver Age stories because I felt like there was a, a little more of a balance there. And there's a line, and here it's just cruelty, just for its own sake. And the kicking of the dog, that in particular, was just like, come on. I was like, bro, <laughs> no. And I'm like, for people with like dogs, too, I was like, don't kick my dog. Like that's not okay. I the very it was interesting the the arc of the Boy of Steel starts you with the mentality that you're talking about with Rosenbaum. Cause he said, there's a line that says, do you think it would have been different if Lex grow, grew up with your parents and you start to go, Oh, now we're thinking like Smallville and we've even had those conversations in the Smallville universe, but then we go to issue six to get this. And you're like, no, if this is the story we're telling, it would not matter. Right. Well, Lena even talks about, or is it Lena or, or Lori, the niece? I know talks about it's Lori, Lori yeah. about him, you know, tearing animals apart as a child. Yeah. So it's like, now we're in serial killer behavior. It's yeah, that I felt like was was too much. I mean, and this is what I said to Scott the last time. You know, I guess ultimately it's a matter of preference. Right. Superman fans out there might be like, yeah, I want a Lex who's totally cruel and devoid of humanity. I mean, I I don't know how many are in that camp. I mean, for myself at least, yeah, I I want something that. You know that that I, I don't know, either I can relate to, or that makes you care. I guess that's the thing. It's like this, yeah. I don't care at all about this version of Lex. No, I don't. And I think I prefer to have, I prefer to have a damaged Lex Luthor, with the knowledge that he he is too far past redemption. Like he had, like there were moments where he would have been able to get redemption, but he's too far, and now he's in Lionel's camp. So. It's not that I think I think Boy of Steel takes too far because I don't even think Lionel would necessarily do that. I, I think it's a different character almost. But I, I I do like the Lex is unfortunately a damaged, traumatic character. He is the villain of the story. 
whether it's Shakespearean or modern comic books, that there has to be that antagonist. But I think it's, I think there's a line, like you said. Yes, I think the, the line between, you know, antagonism versus just unnecessary cruelty, yeah. I think there is that line there and the story crosses it. But I guess the, the other piece about Lex being able to, right, because this is the whole thing. He, he continues to say, it, especially in, in this round of stories, if it weren't for Superman, I would do this, this, and this. And in Up, Up, and Away, that, that post-Infinite mm-hmm. Crisis storyline, yeah. Superman calls him out on that a couple of times. He's like, I was gone for a year. For anyone who doesn't remember, at the end of mm-hmm. Infinite Crisis, he loses his powers. And so, like, if you read the 52 uh, weekly series that came out after yeah. Infinite Crisis, like Superman, Batman, and Wonder Woman, they're off the board. They're each doing their own thing. And the rest of the DC universe kind of, you know, picks up the pieces. And and so Superman in that story is like, I was gone for a year. And what did yeah. you do? Like, all you did was plot your revenge. And, but going back to that Boy of Steel story and his ability to cure Lena and and then the the, the choice that he makes... I guess, in my mind, I don't, people might disagree and that's fine. In my mind, I don't really think Lex can do these things. Clearly, Boy of Steel d- disproves what I just said. But in my right. mind, it's like, and it's one of these things, I think we can, we can all relate to this in some way, shape, or form. It's like, if there's something that you're scared of doing or you don't know if you could do whatever, and there's something you can, some excuse, essentially, and I think... For Lex, it's like Superman is that excuse. And, oh, yeah. And whether he really, whether he consciously knows he's incapable of the things that he claims or not, that, that I think could go either way. But but I guess that's kind of always how I view it. It's like, no, I don't think you really can. But Superman is this excuse. But again, Boy of Steel disproves that. And I guess if if Lex can't do these things, but he blames Superman, I think that makes it a little bit more relatable the version right. that we get in Boy of Steel where he can do these things, he literally can do them and he chooses not to. He hates Superman that much. Yeah. It just makes him more sinister. So it has an effect, but I don't know that I care for the effect that it has. Well, I think Up, Up, and Away is a good balance of the two. I think that's why I like it so much. And so an interesting analogy is think about when there's like a presidential election and and the opponent is always complaining about well, you know, for the last four years, they've done nothing but da, 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 da. But when I get into office, I'm going to do this, this. And then they get into office and you don't see it. They do the same thing the last guy does. So that's that's in my brain what Lex constantly will say. Like, I would take care of Metropolis. I would make this the city of tomorrow if you weren't around. Well, he's not stopping you from doing that. He's just stopping bad guys and villains and sometimes you, but you could still be doing all of these things with your vast resources and, and corporations. Why don't you? And that's what he's doing while they're pummeling each other at the end of up, up and away. Cause they're both so weak. It's like just two gladiators, just like taking big slugs at each other. And then also vaccine poetic, you know, at each other, like, just like, why couldn't you do it? Bam! Because you're the problem. Bam! And they keep hitting. It's it's just it's hilarious, but an awesome moment. It is. I I took a screenshot as I was reading. So, and the basic setup for this is that we we're really back into the renegade outlaw scientist with the underground yeah. lair, Luther. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And he has uh, collected as much kryptonite as he can get his hands on, and the newly created kryptonite man. And he also has the sunstone crystal that he stole from from Superman during Infinite Crisis. And so yeah. he is channeling all this kryptonite energy through the sunstone crystal to unearth 
what is actually Zod's ship that had been buried on Earth for, right. for, for decades. And it creates this, this huge crystal ship and tanks. And he's going to take out Metropolis. Like, it's not, it was funny because it's been so long since I read this. And at first I thought, yeah. I was like, oh, are we doing Superman Returns? Like with the, with the uh, real estate? <laughs> no. It's like, no, like he just wants to take out Metropolis. Which is weird too. There's more to that too. I want to, yeah, I want to come back yeah. to that. Uh, and, and so ultimately Superman, you know, fly as much as there's kryptonite keeping him at bay, he right. is able to power through and he flies through the ship and he was able to grab Lex and the crystal and everything falls apart and, and they're falling. And there's this great moment oh. where there's a quick beat and then Lex just I goes, I hate you Yeah, as they're falling. <laughs> and then he, he doubles down. He's like, God, I hate you. <laughs> yeah. And I laughed out loud because I hadn't remembered that. And it is, if you watch it like in the panels, like they're in the air, they're hovering and they're falling. It's like, I hate you. <laughs> it's just so great. Cause ultimately you don't, he doesn't need to say more than that. It's just so simple. I, that's, that's the thing, right? Like it, I, I know I don't need as far as my, uh, you know, for all the Lex platitudes and the back and forth, it's like at the end of the day, it's like he just hates this guy oh. now. Superman doesn't say it back, but man, I, you know he feels it. And so one of the other things from uh, from Public Enemies that always stood out to me, and I, the the animated movie actually packs a little bit more of a punch because you okay. hear Tim Daly saying it, but when all of the metahumans are attacking and Grodd is controlling Solomon Grundy mm. and Mongol, it's when okay. Superman's fighting Mongol in particular. And uh, at a certain point, as he punches Mongol, he's like, I'm sick of Lex Luthor. And you just feel the frustration. And that's what that's what I'm saying. Like when I go back to well, maybe Lex bear maybe Clark does bear some responsibility for yeah. for how Lex turned out and and this animosity. And last time uh with Scott I talked about just briefly I mentioned that episode of Justice League Unlimited, The Clash, mm. where uh Luther goads Superman into a fight with Captain Marvel. Oh, so good. And you know, in that episode, it's like you know, it there too, like it begs the question, it's like, is this you know, we know Superman's ultimately right and Cadmus is pulling the strings, but as far as what everyone else knows and even what Superman knows, it's like, is this just ego? Like you just can't yeah. get past this. With I Lex. remember vividly watching that episode going like, no, 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 just stop. No, Clark, Superman, just stop. Just wait, ask a question. <laughs> and he's like, no, he just goes, he goes, no, Lex is wrong and Lex is bad and I'm going to take it out. And, and then Shazam is there to just finish it. And I'm, I, I really, it was so interesting reading up, up and away because the first part of the arc, I loved Clark without powers. It was so fun to see that side. The spot that I was like, oh my gosh, is you see how pissed off Lex is when it's clear that Clark gets his powers back. Like you can see it. You can almost read it in the tone like Lex is infuriated. Like, are you effing kidding me? Like, I thought I thought we were done with this. Why is he back? And then and then we just go on with the story. But I loved that. Like how pissed off Lex was. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And and like we've been saying, when it goes the other way too, when Clark has has those feelings of of anger. Again, I think it just it shows his humanity. So I, I don't I don't yeah. mind when we see things like that. Now, Public Enemies takes it pretty far where mm -hmm. he contemplates killing Lex when when Superman and Batman break into the White House. And the <laughs> my favorite part about that scene <laughs> when Batman's in the shadows in the back. It's the best when Batman's like, yeah. I won't stop you. <laughs> I'm not gonna stop him. <laughs> yeah, it's like wow. Usually Clark's the one that has to almost stop Batman. 
Yeah, and, and Batman's like, in the in the curtains going, nope. <laughs> and beyond that, he's like, I won't stop. He goes, there are ways we can make this look like an accident, or better yet, yes. that he disappeared. And it's like, oh, okay. Yeah, he New Jersey'd him. He was like. Uh, what, there's the Meadowlands. Where there's plenty of places they never find your body. <laughs> I loved it. And what, what's interesting though too is is Lex's response to that. Right? He's he's egging Superman on. He's like, do oh, yeah. it because this will be your undoing in the eyes of the public. Ugh. I mean, that's the whole thing, especially with the evil businessman version, is that Lex occupies a certain place yeah. in the city, literally the highest point in the city until Superman soars above him mm -hmm. and figuratively in the hearts and minds of the people who now look at Superman as their hero instead of Lex. So the idea that Superman would lose that the same way Lex lost it when Superman arrived, that would be victory for Lex. Well, and this is a segue to the quote that I think you want to bring up, which is I wrote down now the citizens of Metropolis will receive what they so richly deserve. And I'm going, Whoa, what does he mean by that? Like, as he, he's Lex has lost everything and he always thought of himself as Metropolis's protector, I thought, but now he's it's like he's pissed. Like, no, I was I was above you and you were supposed to respect me and everything was fine because Superman was gone, but nope, now now he's back and you chose poorly. So I'm gonna off you all with my crystal weapon. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. crazy. It, it really is. And Kind of just tying up one of the things that we, we were touching on. So at the end of, of Public Enemies, right, mm -hmm. he's been ousted from the White House. He's in the war suit. He's crazy. He's, you know, he's 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 been exposed, right? This facade yeah. that he's created has now has now been destroyed. Yeah, there's no turning back. Now, shortly after this, we head into Infinite Crisis and we find out that Alexander Luther from the pre-crisis multiverse, he's in play and he's been posing as Lex, pulling the strings of the secret society of villains and our right. Lex is still running around in the war suit trying to make sense of everything. And at the end of Infinite Crisis, he finds and kills Alexander Luther. And yeah. then in the pages of 52 and the beginning of Up, Up and Away, he's able to use this doppelganger mm -hmm. to escape the legal culpability for what he's done. Now- yeah. This was, I thought, a very interesting choice. And I guess it kind of pissed me off at the time because, mm -hmm. again, I felt like, well, we're regressing. But anyway, the <laughs> fact that, you know, he gets away with it at the start of Up, Up, and Away, just like all of the other pre-crisis you know, or post-crisis evil businessman, right. you know, installments. He's able to beat the rap and, you know, he's out there on the courthouse steps and he's talking to the people of Metropolis. And it for a moment, it seems like, okay, we're putting the genie back in the bottle. And they could, like, yeah. that's the thing. They could have here. They could mm -hmm. have had him get away with it and go back to running LexCorp status quo, but the people aren't buying it. No, finally, they're not buying it. And I think that's the connection that usually he could either buy him up, buy him off, kill him off. There's no witnesses. There's no tape. And I, I forget whether it's public enemies or up, up and away that Lois makes a comment, like, make sure we get this on tape. Like she's make sure we record this. Like, now the people are paying attention and they want a record of what he says. Yeah. Yeah. It's great. And so that sets him off right now. It's not yeah. now it's his, his goal is to destroy the city, which yeah. in, in, we talked about this last time in for all seasons, number three, the Lex centric uh, issue. Yeah. He describes his relationship with the city as a love story. He goes, this is a love mm -hmm. story between a man and a city. But like we've been talking about in these episodes, he's incapable of love. So the idea that this, entity he loves and he feels has loved him in the past has now turned their back on him again you never right. turn your back on lex luther his response is is destruction is death 
Yeah, they reboot this a little bit in the late 2010s when, remember, Lex is wearing the Superman suit and then he's protecting Metropolis. Like, so they kind of, they jettison this from the 2000s and they come back to this mentality. But again, we've talked about that in the past too. Like why he takes off that and he goes, you know what? No, no more. I'm not going to protect anymore. But it's so, we see this in cycles, which I kind of like. I mean, they, they, we, we come back and forth from this over each decade for readers, I think, too. Yeah, I, I agree. And, and like I said before, you know, the fact that the, again, we're not even into the New 52 territory, but I know you're, you're the New 52 and then Rebirth is what you're referring right. to. But, you know, for these stories in particular, you know, again, the, the earlier history does still remain intact. And he even says, I think it's, I think it's during the Boy of Steel arc where he references his quote unquote suit and tie years. Yes. So this idea, like now it's being spun as like, this was a chapter in his story yeah. and, and now, you know, he's going to be the, the, the outlaw. So yeah, like, like I said, what had kind of annoyed me in the past, you know, now I can get on board with as, as a, an evolution of the character that's bringing back these other elements, but you know, we're getting you- a little bit of a different spin. Don't you love, though, I, I, you brought up the Silver Age, bringing back some of that. What I really enjoyed about these arcs was it does bring back this. Lex is not just a megalomaniac um, businessman. He's a gifted scientist. He's a genius scientist. I, I liked that. I, that's what I loved about the Silver Age Lex, that first and foremost, he was a scientific genius and that's what made him such a threat. Yeah. And I guess, you know, I guess there were some hints of this in the nineties. I guess the final night storyline comes to mind where a little bit, yeah, where they have to team where, you know, Lex helps against the sun eater. And so you see a little bit more because really from post-crisis really in the eighties and nineties, it was really, he had scientists working for him, which correct, you know, like uh, Cadmus or Dabney Donovan or something like that. Yeah. Right. And just as a side note for, for all the talk that uh, Scott and I did about the evil businessman version, I I don't know if we said this explicitly, but all women, well, not all women, but primarily women, especially in those early burn issues, Mm -hmm. uh, which, you know, and we talked about how he abused his position uh, with the at least one of the the scientists who worked for him in Superman number two, but but yeah. beyond that, that he's surrounded by these these female employees, uh, <laughs> shows you a lot ab- about who he is. As, as a side note that actually relates to what we're talking about now. I, I did take a look at the episode of Smallville from season four called Bound, and oh. it's the one that guest stars uh, Kobe Smulders, uh, pre How I Met Your Mother, Kobe oh. Smulders, uh, and. Huh we get a glimpse into Lex's womanizing ways. I mean, it's not to the level of the burn Lex who's right. Really forcing these women into sexual relationships with him. Uh, but you know, he's picking up women and, and quickly discarding them and sending them a, you know, a pair of earrings as a sort of a, you know, a trophy or whatever. I think, yeah. <laughs> uh, for their, for their time with him. And, you know, it really kind of colors the way Clark sees him too, is like this whole other side of Lex that he didn't know. So it was just kind of interesting. Again, not in the same vein or to the same extent as we got in those burn issues, but but this idea again of Lex's treatment of women, uh, yeah. this was another instance, um, you know, uh, of that. But where was I going with this? Where were we? <laughs> you're talking about scientists. We're talking about the scientists yes. he surrounds himself with. Thank yeah. you. Uh, so yeah. Oh, anyway. So final night, we got a little bit of that scientific mind coming back, but right. still primarily the businessman. I feel like Birthright uh, oh, was yeah. really now our, our our pivot back into the scientifically minded Lex. Even though, as we've talked about on the show before, Birthright as the definitive origin of Superman never, unfortunately, never took hold. But still, 
you know, stands as a, as a great read today. It is one of my favorite things to go back and read, not just because of the artwork, but because I think it's such a cool diversion in some ways. Like you said, it was supposed to be the new origin, but no, it's not going to. But but Mark Wade definitely has, I think, the character's voice down so well. Yes. Well, so now well, let me ask you. So pre-crisis, he's a scientist. Post-crisis, mm-hmm. he's a businessman. And then really from, I guess, from birthright forward, and we see this reinforced in Secret Origin, uh, he's he's both. He's the scientist businessman. Do you like that? that amalgam do you prefer one over the other i like the amalgam i kind of the reason i like birthright is because you i almost think it's like the best of both worlds from smallville lex to comic book lex like i think we actually see both veins and i forget specifically when birthright was written but i feel like it was during the smallville run yes it was. So it's very interesting because I know Mark Wade is a big fan of the show also. Um, so you could definitely see like I'm trying to infuse this tone that we're seeing in the show, but also throw in like there's almost hints of all-star Superman inside Birthright a little bit too. When you get to this science aspect and Clark and Lex being scientific together and all the tests that Lex is giving Clark to see, wait, is this guy just a farm boy or does he actually know his stuff? I love the scene with the astronomy um, and he sees the book on the shelf and he goes, oh, okay, let's see if this, this farmhand knows what he's talking about. I love it. I loved all of it. Yes. All right. Well, I guess this is as, as good a point as any to talk about you know, one of the other you know major aspects of pre-crisis Lex that came back here this past yeah. with Clark in Smallville. Now, of course, we see it obviously on the Smallville TV show most prominently, but also mm-hmm. in Birthright and in Secret Origin. Yeah. A major difference in these stories versus pre-crisis is that pre-crisis we had Clark as Superboy. So right. they had this past that then continued on into the present day between Lex and Superman. I feel like (laughs) there's a problem. I don't see it as a problem, but I feel like the writers of Smallville and Birthright and Secret Origin saw a problem that they felt they needed to try to solve. And that problem is, well, if Clark and Lex have this history together, how does Lex not know that Clark is Superman? Right. And I feel like the fixes for that in almost every instance, almost make it one of those things where like it defeats the purpose. And I, I, I don't know that it, it's necessarily worth it. And that might be a little bit too far, but like <laughs> I've talked about this before. I don't, I don't want to belabor the point, but yeah. the fact that at the end of Smallville, you know, they erase not just Lex's oh. memory of Clark, not just the past Everything. few years, literally every memory he's had. I mean, it's a ridiculous it's no matter how you cut it, it's a ridiculous end for the character. And it's one of those things yeah. where I love the scene between Clark and Lex and the burned out mansion earlier in the finale. It's, it's like, man, this sets up a great dynamic. The whole thing with destiny together on different sides. And oh. he knows that Clark is Kal-El, but he's encouraging him to become Superman because he knows that they're going to push each other to be great men. It's like, oh my God, like this is the dynamic I've always wanted. I never use the you know sports metaphors, but it's like we were so close to the end zone here. Oh, it's like yeah. all we needed in the in the in the Luther Corp towers at the end was for him to kill Tess and look out over the city. Done. Like yeah. we were so close, and man, did they fumble it with that memory wipe? And 
It drives me nuts to this day. The memory wipe, and we're not going to get back into the Donnerverse, but <laughs> the memory wipe, that is like a close second to it was all a dream. That It's like the end of like Dallas for all those people that watched those like in the 80s, like any sort of show where the show goes off the rails and the writers are like, oh, shit, it was a dream. <laughs> like, just do that. Oh, it's such a cop out. And I, okay. My opinion is I wish the birthright Smallville secret origin Clark Lex was a definitive. I, I, I hate it's, it's a strong word to use. I hate the Superboy uh, idea that that Clark was Superboy way back. Um, there's so many incredible scenes. And I wrote a note at the end of birthright was, Lex's ego won't allow him to think Clark is Superman. That's how he doesn't know. Cause he's, he's so smart. He, he doesn't always believe that anybody could be as smart as him. And he says, nothing good will ever come out of this hick town except for Lex Luthor. So he, it's like hiding in plain sight. It's hiding inside his ego. Right. It's easy to do like, and like you said, Oh my gosh, I wish they would have just kept that going. And maybe we'll see, I don't know, maybe they'll retcon it in the Smallville animated series they're doing. I don't know. <laughs> uh, my, well, hopefully that happens. And hopefully if they do, I mean, I know, I know Rosenbaum was not a fan of the mind wipe at the end. He said as he much in an interview. It. So yeah. I, I wouldn't be surprised if maybe that's something that's, that's undone. But so again, at the end of Smallville, this, I, it, it just, it drove me so crazy, especially mm -hmm. since, and look, I don't know. I don't know if there were, there was any sort of corporate mandate from Warner Brothers or, or they just took it upon themselves. I don't, I don't know, but it was such a baffling choice and it, it undermined <laughs> Lex's whole, I mean, I, that's the thing. I, the whole 10 years just shot. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I have to put that out of my mind. Otherwise it renders yeah. everything we're talking about with Lex right. moot. Uh, but anyway, so, you know, that, that's, and the reason why, here's the thing, the reason why I say it's a problem that doesn't really exist, but they see it as a problem. And I've been saying this so many times on the show, I, I think it works fine if Lex knows especially yeah. if you have the foundation that you have from Smallville where it's like, no, there's a bedrock of friendship there. He's not going to blow up his identity. It's right. power that he has over him. There's any number of spins you can put on him. Where oh, it there's, it's very doable. And that's, that, that's frustrating with me too. For, for reading Birthright and Secret Origin and these, I, I enjoy them for the connections they make. Like, I don't always think about these as broad scope stories, but more like little nuggets of, Oh, that's a really interesting way to think about why Lex is Lex. So there's another quote I wrote down was, I wish his parents were more concerned with social and moral development than, than the financial and business side of things. It's just so, it's just such an interesting, like, yeah, what if those added character traits were deemed important to the Luther family? Like, would he change? Right. I, that's why I love these books because it's like, oh man, interesting. Like it's just, it's just, it's a different spin on a character we think we know well. Yeah, yeah, no, and so that's the thing. Like ultimately, ultimately, I I like the idea of a past between them and Smallville, but I've mm -hmm. yet to see it realized the way I I would want it to be. And this, you know, they're not my stories to tell, so it's fine. But you're so selfish, Anthony. I yeah. tell you. But I, I just I always feel like we're so close now. I'm going to come back to birthright, but secret origin, secret origin was one of those ones where I'm like, well, what are we even doing here? Because it was okay. It was, yeah. you know, but especially with the Lex piece of it, where he has a couple of interactions with Clark, 
you know, it, it, with both Birthright and Secret Origin, Lex's time in Smallville is very limited. And again, mm-hmm. I think that's pointed towards this idea of, well, how do we, you know, make it that he doesn't know in the future? So it's like this this brief visitation in Smallville. Yeah. But with Secret Origin, the few encounters they have, or the couple that we even see, they feel very perfunctory. There's nothing about them that really shows us anything or, or I don't know, maybe that's, maybe that's too harsh, but I just don't feel like there's anything that's really formative in those encounters. No, they're very trite. They're, they're almost, um, I don't want to say throwaway. That really sounds bad about somebody else's work, but it, it's what you would almost expect. I don't feel it's anything special or new. I mean, what I, it was, I was curious about the timing, about what was going on in the news at the time, because I, I did get a hint of a little bit of political connections too. So I had wrote down like Lex is trying to convince the world that Superman is not only a menace, but an alien that we should hate. And it made me kind of go like, oh, does that sound familiar to, you know, anything how we've, our country was talking about immigrants and other things and that kind of stuff. So I was seeing it as more of a, like a social connection, like a social commentary in some cases, but I didn't, I didn't really see anything, I don't say redeeming, but nothing that really added to my understanding of Lex and his relationship with Clark. Right. I, I guess the point that I'm that I'm trying to get at is if we're going to have a past with Lex and Clark in Smallville, it should mean okay. something. Yeah. Yeah, and, I would agree. And so on Smallville, absent the memory wipe, it does. Like again, if you cut that last piece out, what it sets yeah. what's been set up there, it's like, wow, we have a great dynamic that'll that'll there's so much you can mine from this moving forward. And I think Birthright does that too, though, because there are connections that you do also see. I think that if you, there's a scene where Lex says, will I ever fit in here? And, and then Clark has this moment where, Oh, like, I can't really tell him why I feel this way, but, gosh, I want to tell Lex, I totally understand what that feels like. And there's like a kindredness between the two of them. And to me, that was important. Like that was like, oh, that needed to be talked about. Because now we're, now we as Superman fans are resonating as a Lex fan too, which I was like, that's an important moment in in comic book writing. For sure. And Birthright did a a vastly better job, in my opinion, than than Secret Origin. Again, like I said, the Secret Origin encounters where, you know, Clark and Lex meet at the fair right before the tornado and, uh, you know, Clark's wearing his glasses and Lex is like, you know, do you do you read a lot or, you know? Yeah. uh, You know, so, you know, they have that encounter. And then another one in the library uh, at school, I think, where Lex Mm -hmm. talks about, you know, the small town and I'm going to go to Metropolis. And Lex is reading the or Clark is reading the book that Lex had been selling about, you know, their life out there and, and, you know. Lex says, oh, there is. And, you know, in both Birthright and Secret Origin, we now have this this take on Lex where he's this or interested in extraterrestrial life, this astrobiologist. Right. So now we're getting into that. And I want to come back to what you were saying about the this view of Superman as alien, the xenophobia. I want to get back to that. But uh, again, there's just those couple of encounters in Secret Origin. And then when Lex meets Clark later on, yeah. Uh, and, you know, Clark says, like, oh, we met in Smallville. And Lex is like, oh, yeah, how could I forget those glasses? It's like, ah, like, well, what, what what was this for? Like, I, I just don't feel like there's 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 enough there. And, and I don't know, maybe yeah. other stories could have fleshed it out. I don't know. But 
so there's that. And then in Birthright, again, I, I love Birthright. And yeah. I, I really, for the most part, enjoyed, you know, Wade's updated take on Clark and Lex mm-hmm. and Smallville. I think you're right. Seeing seeing the parallels between the two of them, like they both, they're both outsiders. We know why Clark is. But for Lex, he's so smart yeah. that people don't understand him and mm-hmm. he can't relate to them and vice versa. And he sees this, this, look on their faces right this this fear this distrust or whatever you want to call it and when uh you know he's showing clark this experiment in you know uh, at his house and it involves a meteor rock and you know suit and clark you know writhes in pain and yeah. lex mistakes that for that same look that he's seen on all of those people it's as if clark turned his back on him yep and he tur- <laughs> you know he turns on clark and so that I thought played, I, I thought that played really well. I mean, it was a little tough. You're right. You see a lot of similarities to the Smallville show, but this version mm-hmm. of Lex is is different. They feel even closer in age, although Lex is older, but they feel closer in age. And, you know, this is not a personable Lex. Like, that's the thing. No, Rosenbaum's Lex was very personable, very charming. Charming, yes. And this is this Lex was played very differently. So I, that, I even then and now reading it, like, it's a little tough because we're so close to that Smallville territory. Yeah. But, but it's, which is fine. It's almost like if you took the charm of Rosenbaum out and you put in a more like cold standoffish approach, that would be birthright. Like the scene where Lex has to like, oh, okay, you you want to under you want to see deduction? I'll tell you deduction. And then he goes through the class, like everything about the teacher sleeping with the gym teacher, like all these things. And the looks that they're giving him, like you said, is like, oh my God, what? Who is this dude? Well, he's and it was very high school. It wasn't like any other adult would be like, "Whoa, this kid is above everything." But at that level, they're like, "You're weird." Like it's like the like the kid approach to you're different. I don't like you. You're weird. And and I I, I felt more sad for Lex in Birthright, and not not um. Not like in Smallville, like not in the, oh, they could be tight if only. But uh, like the scene where poor Lex has the, the metal detector uh, that's supposed to pick up things. And then and then it, like, well, because it's useless. And he just goes nuts and he wasted all this time he thinks, but he did it. And you're like, oh, damn it, Lex. <laughs> right. Like I felt more bad for him in that relationship. It's shown in Birthright, but I really liked it. I think because I feel it was needed. Yes. Yeah, yeah, no, I think for the most part it, it played well, but again, going, I guess going back to this larger idea that I'm still wrestling with is mm-hmm. when, uh, you know, Lex leaves Smallville in, in Birthright, yeah. you know, we, you know, Clark explains like the next day, like the, you know, movers came and, and the pavers and like salted right. the earth. It was like he was never there. And, never there. And yeah. there's no record of, of Lex's time in Smallville. And when Lex meets Clark in the, in the present day, yeah. he, you know, Clark is like, oh, we, I know you from Smallville. Like he's does not acknowledge it. And no. it's like, I don't know, is Lex's mind so powerful? Did he? <laughs> I mean, I don't, I don't think that's, I don't think that's what we're supposed to come away with. I think he knows he spent this time in Smallville, but he's, he's not oh, acknowledging it. But I think it's also ego. I think that's another thing to Lex's ego where in that instance, if he admits he was ever in Smallville, people could go like, Oh wait, why were you in this little no, nowhere nothing town when you're saying you're Lex Luthor and you're a member of the Luther family? I think he 
he's not like he didn't retcon it from his own memory he's refusing to allow others to ever think he'd be so far beneath them right that i think it had to be there he had to ignore it because of his ego I I think you're right. But again, I guess the the sort of the what I bump up against is if not, I mean, you know, not not to Anthony will never be happy listeners. No, so we're... <laughs> I, I'm happy about a lot of stuff and I, I've gotten happier about so many things, yeah. but I, I do feel strongly about this, I, I guess. I mean, I, everything you're saying makes sense. And I think that 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 is a perfectly reasonable explanation. But it's like if <laughs> then we don't have those moments between Clark and Lex where their past is acknowledged discussed in some way comes up I, it, again it just sort of feels like a missed opportunity it's like they have this past they had this really traumatic experience you know and, and this moment think, where whatever friendship they had fell away i really think that you are just still damaged from season 10 of smallville i think that's what it comes down to i i think that <laughs> you yeah. know what i mean like to a certain extent that you we, we've taken such ownership of that universe that were like, yes, I like everything that you're saying. Give me more of that. And then to just go, never mind. I think, I mean, I'm, I'm not totally being serious. Like we're almost like, it's no, why would you do that when you set us up for success? Like you yeah. ruined those characters for us. Yeah, no, I think, I mean, no, I mean, that's totally it. Like there's a dynamic that I feel has been set up multiple times that we've yes. never really seen pay off. That is my frustration with it. So yes. now, uh, you know, I don't think that's a secret anymore at this point, but you know, Mark Wade <laughs> is, is doing a, a follow-up to birthright. Mm -hmm. uh, and I believe it's going to be fairly, you know, Clark and Lex centric. So, you know, maybe, maybe what I'm talking about now, maybe this will, will be something that pays off here where again, like to your point, I mean, yeah, I do think Lex remembers his time at small, but he's not acknowledging it, but maybe there's something that will, will force him to, we'll get some of those moments that I've been longing for. That's, that's so, all I'm saying. So when you post this, um, I don't, are you, are you friends with Mark Wade on Facebook? Uh, yeah. Yeah. So I think we need to do a deliberate share and tell him the minute Mark that we are talking right now and say, Mark, <laughs> we are asking for you to please fix the end of Smallville for us and make this finally happen on behalf of all Superman fans everywhere. Please do that. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> so, you know, uh, while we're talking about the, you know, the, time in Smallville and just the Luther family tree and everything and yeah. what he knows and what he acknowledges about his past, you know, in the post-crisis iteration, there was a lot of mystery surrounding where Lex came from. And there was that unauthorized biography I talked about with Scott, right. where there's this reporter who figures out that, you know, Lex grew up in suicide slum with, uh, you know, alcoholic abusive parents. And he, uh, you know, uh, uh, messed up their car and took out this life insurance policy. And, and that was how right. he got his start. Uh, so there's this, and which I thought was kind of interesting, this idea of like a mystery surrounding, you know, where Lex came from. And, and so now in, in both Birthright and Secret Origin, same yeah, basic, same basic yeah. idea of, uh, you know, of, of his father in particular, you know, with him in, in Smallville. In Birthright, it's established that he comes from money. And yes. the we only see his father like in one panel when Clark goes to right. the door. It looks very similar to Lionel. Yeah, but that's as much as we get. And after the explosion uh, following Lex's experiment, he does see his father, uh, you know, pleading for help in the fire and clearly yeah. Lex doesn't help him. And that's the end of, of that version of, of Lex's father, which really called to mind the season one finale of Smallville. Yes. 
when the tornado hits the town and uh, and and uh, causes destruction at the mansion, and and Lionel is is you know uh, lying there with a big column about to crash into him, pleading for help, and one of Lex's earliest yeah. moments of that darkness coming out where he hesitates, and uh, ultimately yeah. he saves him. But there's that moment where you like the blood on his face, and it's like, oh, yep. is he really gonna let him die? Yeah, I I don't know which version I like whether Lionel is like whether Lex comes from money or if Lex comes from like in secret origin, the, like the drunk farmer. Cause I think yep. there's, I think there's merit to both of those possibilities that Lex is erasing his traumatic past of either Lionel or the abusive drunk father, both work in, in trauma. So he's trying to escape one of those two things, which works really, really well. I think it's interesting to me too, like if if the father is kind of this belligerent alcoholic farmer and Lex is just this genius, I think that tells a very interesting possible story also of like of success. And he wants that's why he also wants to erase his past and not admit that he knows Clark or remember Smallville, because that would admit that. He has a past that is hard and not and a little more lower class than he'd like to admit. Right, which of course, right, totally plays into the the whole ego of the character. Yeah, I right. I, I don't know. I, I don't know that I can even say I'm split because I'm so beholden to the Smallville right. version and the 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 Lionel Lex dynamic was so compelling that I do gravitate towards that. I mean, it also depends on the story you're telling. And with Smallville, we spent so much time there, and right. we had so far to go before Lex became who he would become and, and having Lionel as the businessman allowed access to, uh, you know, a whole other world for Lex and the characters. Yeah. Uh, but you know, just in terms of, of, of character, but also just plot. I mean, it, you know, it was, it facilitated, uh, you know, a lot of things that needed to transpire on the show that there was this access that, you right. know, one of the characters had. <laughs> and I think, I think that's why I enjoy, like some people get really frustrated when, they even hear that we have a mini series coming out that could possibly rewrite. I don't, I don't know if I get as much upset as more as I'm intrigued by like, all right, so what are they going to do that's different that they're not, I don't think anybody is, unless it's stated, we're going to redo a rebirth or something like that. I am very interested as to what we can do more with a character that's been around for 80 years. Like, Oh, I've never thought of it that way. I, I always appreciate it. And we're seeing a lot of that in like the DC black label stuff that has replaced a lot of our Elseworlds or what if kind of stories. But so I, um, yeah, it's interesting. So any of the stuff we read, I don't, especially like secret origin, origin and birthright. I don't dislike any of it. I just don't jive with some of the ways they've had takes on things. Yeah, no, no, that, that, that's fair. Um, yeah, and then ultimately, as far as you know, which which kind of Lionel we, we want Lex to come from? I yeah, like, what do you think? Which one do you like? You you you're a Smallville person, like you said. Yeah, I I just think it's ultimately more interesting, and it gives them more places to go. I I, I don't disagree with your point that there's trauma in both, and both can inform how he becomes who he becomes. And yeah. I, I mean, in fairness, if we're going with this this track of like he's burying his past in Smallville, then yeah, him coming from the alcoholic farmer 
right. you know, whose brakes he tries to cut. Uh, you know, it's like, okay, I, I guess that, that tracks a little bit, a little bit better, but yeah, I don't know if, if it, if it's the Lionel of, of Smallville, I think it just, it's a lot richer pun intended, <laughs> you know, it just, well, I think it gives you more places to go. I think it gives you more places to go. Also, if you put on one side of it, Jonathan Kent and on the other side of it, Lionel Luther. Yes. I think then you're going, okay, that's a very interesting barometer of putting Lex in the middle in which way is he going to go? Like where, which father does he want to have and which son does he want to be? That is where I find interest in the the Smallville approach. Yeah, totally. And, and again, I, I agree. I think Birthright did a great job of showing the, this, this kinship between Clark and Lex and both feeling like outsiders and part of that in birthright was that Lex came from money. Clark specifically right. is talking about that with Jonathan. And in on the Smallville show, it's we haven't even really talked about this yet, but the baldness, right? Lex's baldness is used differently across these mm-hmm. iterations. Yeah. In the Silver Age, of course, the, the you know the he blames Superboy for causing his baldness, and it's like you know the vanity, the ego, and that that sets off this animosity between them and it's you know again it feels a little silly now but you know that was that was the version at the time and then post-crisis you know we when we meet him in man of steel he's balding and you know soon enough the hair is gone but it's not so much of a sticking point for the character but smallville was interesting because it's it is this this traumatic moment during the meteor shower where he loses his hair and and he's not like in the Silver Age, he's a teenager, or, you know, or early twenties, maybe even when that happens. But on Smallville, he's a little kid, and talks about that on the show. How growing up, you know, as a kid, That's coming traumatic. from money yeah. and mm-hmm. and being bald and just looking different, uh, you, you know, real and you know, we there are flashbacks to him getting bullied at the Excelsior right. Academy and and all of that. So that really informed, I think, a lot of of who he became and the way people viewed him and the way he, you know, responded. Well, it's like he was the first meteor freak. Yeah. Like that's, I think that's why he resonated so much about wanting to find out why, like, why was he put through that? What, what, what caused all of that? Which, which leads him to, to Clark, which is, which makes it so much more interesting, I think. Yeah. Now you mentioned uh, again about the, this, the alien, the idea of the, Mm -hmm. of the alien and you certainly see in these stories more than than what had come before. I feel um, you do feel more of that that xenophobia, and yeah. especially in Secret Origin, you know, Lex has a line to General Lane about how you know Superman's interest in Lois is unnatural. Oh yeah, and and even in the you know up up and away, I mean, he's constantly calling Superman alien, and mm-hmm. again, you just feel it that the hatred dripping. Well. What stood out to me was was in Birthright. What's funny is that so much of the the, the last third or so of, of that story is mm-hmm. Lex, you know, tricking the populace into thinking that Superman is this advanced scout from his alien race. But yeah. Lex himself, his reasoning is that he had been searching for extraterrestrial life his whole life. Right. And when he finally found it, Superman... <laughs> not some in so many words turned his back on him he humiliated him yeah right so as much as lex was putting forth this idea like we have to fear the alien it was really just this personal slight that he was yeah. feeling very interesting lex lex, lex kind of did the i have my arms open i was i want to be friends like we are friends and then it's like no like it's no mistake that there is a common thread of feeling betrayed Lex yeah. is the ultimate betrayer because he knows how it feels. 
and I like I like a Lex who feels betrayed far more than I like a Lex who who hates the outsider. Correct. I I like that a lot better, and I feel that that's a little more real. I think that's a little more like justifiable almost. And I like that a lot better than the egomaniac or crazy amped up venomy <laughs> kryptonite poison Lex. Yeah, and no, I, I I'm with you on that. And you know, in the next episode, we're going to talk more about what I'm calling Lex the ideologue and and this the the stories that oh. that deal with Lex, who truly has a philosophical objection to a being with this much power. Mm. Uh, but even that is different than than fearing someone from another planet. Now, yeah. there was one one odd. Smallville thing that um, I, I've never really liked, and I just I don't feel like it it tracks. And it's the end of season seven, Lex Michael Rosenbaum's final episode before he came back for the series finale, when he learns that Clark is this traveler that Lionel and the rest of the Veritas group had been had been looking for all those years. Is that is that in the Arctic or no? Yep. Yeah. And they have the final scene of season seven is this showdown, this final face off between Clark and Lex. Yep. And Lex knows that Clark is Kal-El the Traveler. And it's this moment we've been building toward. And we have this this face off. And it, yet again, Lex talks about how Clark turned his back on him. <laughs> but there's this point like Lex, you know, we talk about the maniacal Lex. There's there's an air about him in the scene that felt a little unhinged and uh, mm-hmm. And that was kind of hard for me to kind of reconcile with that version of Lex. And Lex literally says to Clark, and I don't know the exact quote, but but he says like, you know, uh, you know, you're po- you pose as a mild-mannered farm boy, but secretly you're an alien plotting our demise. And it was that last part that was like That's the part I don't like. That was like yeah. where like you have plenty of reasons to to <laughs> to, yeah. to hate Clark at this point. But that's not one of them. What like what makes you think that that always stood out to me as, as an outlier. I totally am with you on that one. Cause I'm, I'm fine with Lex being unhinged because it's the culmination of the betrayal. It's the, are you freaking kidding me? I was right. And, and like, if you really go back through all of the times Clark's lied, that would make you so pissed, but, but never in all of that, did we feel that Lex was a xenophobe? Or an alien hater. Like, no, like that was, I think, just a weird, that's bad writing. That's just a bad line. Yeah, I think that was a little bit of a, of a slip there. Uh, again, I, I, I don't mind stories where Lex plays on the xenophobia of others, but yeah. I don't need him to have it himself. So I guess that's where I draw, draw the line, I suppose. <laughs> yeah, now, I love that episode, actually. And part of me was hoping that they would, that they didn't go where they went. I think season eight could have been really cool if if Lex then knows, and we and that's how we deal with things. But you know, that's okay. That's another episode. Every dynamic on the show got better and more interesting when the character learned the secret. And I yes. don't think this would have been any different. Correct. But that is what it is. Now I, I had asked you ahead of time. You know, if you want to compare notes on like our top five Lex <laughs> moments on Smallville, are there any that we haven't hit yet that that were on your list that we haven't talked My, about? Yet? The only one we didn't really talk about was Lexmas. Ah, oh, such a good one. It just makes me so happy, and it also makes me so sad. That's why it's such a to me an incredible writ, incredibly written episode. It's one of my favorite episodes because it's 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 a wonderful life. Like, what if this worked out the way Lex could have imagined it or loved it? And 
it's just it's heartbreaking to me at the end. Um, but I just think we see again another what if what if Lex wasn't the villain of the story? Um, which is is still I know that's not necessarily what we're talking about, but it's one of my favorite Lex moments because you see the possibility of Lex being a force for good and how he could be an a, an equal to Clark and not an antithesis. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, what's heartbreaking about that episode is, you know, he just has the the wrong takeaway. Right. Because in this vision, he he has turned his back on Lionel and the family fortune. And then he's not able to save Lana's life when she uh, has complications during childbirth. Right. And when he and when he wakes up, he learns the wrong lesson. Right. That's what makes me sad. Yeah. That's the thing. It's It's the tragedy of this guy of 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 not. Yeah. Not having the right takeaway and and not being able to get out of his own way of, of injecting himself with kryptonite after he lost his hand and then his life to kryptonite poisoning. It's just right. Like, you know. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, okay. So do you want to talk about John Cryer? Yes. The last thing I want to say, cause we've basically hit on all of my Smallville moments. The, nice. the, the one thing though, I will say is uh, in season three, you know, there was this whole arc where Lex learned that Lionel had killed Lionel's parents the insurance money so basically what lex would do post-crisis they gave lionel that that origin and uh in order to uh, escape this lionel has lex committed to an oh. asylum and, and subjects yes. him to this yes. electroshock therapy that erases his short-term memory and i i mean one Oof. of my moments is certainly the the end of that episode shattered and they played uh hurt the hurt cover by johnny cash yeah and you see you know lionel looking in at lex at the straight jacket haunting and then, so I guess that's, I'm kind of cheating and having to, but then the other one is in the, in that memoriam episode that I talked about where Lex recovers a lot of his memories, including yeah. that memory of Lillian killing Julian. He has this heart to heart with Lionel where he reveals all of this yeah. and oh man, it, it breaks, it breaks your heart for Lex. And that's why I want to, oh. I, I didn't want to leave without saying this where Lionel is like, if I had known that it wasn't you who killed your brother, if I had known things would have been so different between us. And Lex is like, you might've actually loved me. And it's like, Oh my God, it, it, it's so, it's so yeah. heartbreaking. And again, go so far to inform everything that Lex does. And not that this is one of my top moments, but in that episode where Lex kills Lionel, uh, Clark talks to Chloe at the end of it. And he's like, how could somebody kill their own father? Yeah. And Chloe says total absence of love. And that's the thing with this guy. He, you know, he didn't, receive it at the time when he needed it as a kid and and doesn't know now how to give or receive it as an adult and that's why everything you know everything falls apart you know and and people ask constantly because i'm so vested in the comic world in my life in my family and and this is another this discussion is another perfect example of like we learn character and life lessons from stories like these constantly. They're, they're modern day parables. Like it's learn your lesson from these stories, kids, because this is how you can really see your life unfolding if you're not careful. It's a lesson to be learned. And that's what I always see it as. It's, it's just, it's veiled in capes and crusaders, but it's, it's still things that we need to think about in life. Totally. No, well said. All right, so John Cryer, as as like now you mean Len, lenny yeah lenny 
uh, man, there's a lot to say, but I, I don't want to forget this because this is kind of interesting. I want to pose this question to you. Uh, so Tyler from the Krypton Report podcast, he's been on the show before, yep. and uh, he, he said something that that has stuck with me that's kind of interesting. He said he, in his headcanon, not, not that this is literally the case, but that you can sort of look at John Cryer's Lex as Michael Rosenbaum's Lex a bit, you know, a few years down the road. Yes. Does that track? I, for, I mean, again, I will, not literally, but that I at will least kind in a spiritual of, sense. I will kind of agree with that. Yeah, I think I wrote down, is he an older Smallville Lex? But it's very interesting. This could be John Cryer's take because he worked with Gene Hackman. That like you see very little glimpses of Gene Hackman, but then, as much as I hate to say this, you do see a dash of Kevin Spacey every now and then too, because I think that John Cryer, like any actor, is going to go back and watch, like you know, as a method person, we're going to find out like what's the backstory on this character, but I do think if I had to combine two, it's Rosenbaum and Hackman. He's trying to portray. Um, but I think from a, a continuity standpoint, do you think that it is like supposed to be older Rosenbaum? I mean, not, not in a strict continuity sense, but I think at least in a spiritual sense, yeah. I, I think that you can kind of line them up more or less like that. What it could have ended up happening. Yeah. Right now. The big question first, do, do you like this iteration of, of Lex? Hmm. <laughs> I was thinking, well, and that should be the answer there too. Like if I had to think about it too long, um, I kind of like the take. I don't love John Cryer necessarily. I mean, I think he's fine. Um, I think I also have a hard time with like what John Cryer's also done in like past roles that gets in the way of me seeing him like really authentically as a Lex Luthor, like whether it's like two and a half men or like, the ducky from pretty in pink like it just throws me a little bit it takes me out of it i guess uh, uh, too much i actually though i think some of the writing and the stuff that we find in the episode is really cool and gives you a few gotcha moments that i didn't expect but um i i don't particularly love him as one of my lex luther fair enough i mean i i it's not the hill that i'm going to die on trying to convince you otherwise i I remember when they announced him and, and yes, you have the connection to Superman four that he played, you know, Lenny Lex's nephew. Uh, but I remember when they announced him and, and I did, I watched two and a half men. I watched yeah. all of two and a half men. I watched the Charlie Sheen and the Ashton Kutcher years. So I, oh, I watched oh, a lot of, wow. I watched a lot of John Cryer on that show. <laughs> and you know, it was my initial reaction was not a positive one, but, and it didn't help when they released the, I remember the first photo that they released of him with his beard and bald head and and in his prison garb and like standing at the at the door and I was like mm, yeah. I don't know. Watching the episode, I was I was pleasantly surprised. And just for a quick bit of context, I mean, I watched Supergirl, this the the CBS and then CW series with Melissa Benoist. I watched that. I watched the first five seasons regularly as it aired, and I started watching the sixth and final season. And I got a couple of episodes in, and I just I couldn't do it anymore. So I've never finished the show. But I know how it ends. And I know that Lex continues to be an antagonist until the yeah. very end. But uh, but anyway, so I was watching this these Lex episodes as they were, as they were coming out. And again, I was I was pleasantly surprised when when I watched um which which was great. So he ended up being a better Lex than than I thought he would be. 
Yeah. Would he be at the top of my list? No, but I think he did. I think he did a solid job and, and served his role well in that capacity on that show. Yeah. I mean, I, I think he, I think he's a good actor. Don't, don't me don't let me say that. I think that he also really nails the manipulative side of Lex Luthor. Yeah. That he does, he does fool you and, and you really can't tell. I, I think he is similar. Um, I love Tom Cavanaugh on the flash. Like his, the Harrison Wells vibe is very resonant in his take on Lex Luthor that you're like, Oh wait, maybe he's going to be good. Like, did we miss something? Oh, nope, nope. He's bad. Like, so I, I like his delivery. I really enjoyed like the story about Lena's real mom. I think that got me hard. And then I was like, Oh God, nope. He's Lex Luthor. Why did I get fooled by him again? I shouldn't have been fooled. I do, I do like that. He's very charismatic and calculating. Still, I think that that's a that was well portrayed, but maybe it's just I haven't seen enough of it. I think if I maybe if I watched some more, that I would enjoy it more. Mm, would you? I don't know. I, <laughs> I don't, I'm thinking you're of like, my. You're like, no. Would you, Birdie? <laughs> no, it's not. It's not even a reflection of you. It's more like I'm thinking about my own my own arc with with the show and okay because I definitely was pleasantly surprised with him initially, and I think yeah. I kind of tend I I came to found him came to find him grading as we went on. I don't know oh, how much that okay. had to do with him though. I, I really think the show went downhill again. There's a reason I stopped watching with like I would agree. 18 episodes to go. Well, like I told you, like I, we stopped, I think episode four of season four. So I didn't even get to this point. And so maybe I would, I made a good choice. I, I, I think, I mean, performance aside, I think what, what I, what I appreciate, especially now going through this whole process about that take on Lex are are the echoes of of a lot of other interpretations yes. and not that i think that always has to be the case but there were a lot of fun nods and like we were saying i think you definitely see definitely see a lot of shades of the smallville lex and and in that charisma and and manipulation in in particular i think you see a lot of it there um he he comes to don it's actually at the start of the next episode after the one that we watched but he dons the green uh war suit so you get that nod in the episode we watched when he you know makes his big play and we find out that uh, that Eve Tessmacher uh, has has been working for him all along and he summons her and it's Miss Tessmacher. Again, yeah. you get that, you know, right out of the, the Gene Hackman performance. Otis is his other henchman right from those movies. So there's I think there's a lot that, you know, that they pull from other incarnations and, and they give you, you know, kind of that interesting blend. He definitely had been that businessman. Before right. he was exposed and was then the 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 outlaw Lex that we've we've had in, in pre and, and, well, and now in these and stories. I, yeah, I like that they also had him dying of kryptonite poisoning. Like I think that there's a continued arc that that they didn't try to change. There's like no, we're gonna stay true to that idea. So I I I would say it's easy way to for me to sum it up is I appreciated it. I didn't dislike it. I appreciated it. It was fine. It's I don't know to an extent I I. Uh, how, do, how do I put this? I ultimately, I think the show did better by its Lex than by its Superman, but they're similar in the sense that they, you know, they're. You know, I would agree with you. They do. They, they treat Superman much better in Superman and Lois oh, than they did on Supergirl. Percent. Yeah, for yeah. sure. But like I've always said, you know, their Superman was playing a supporting role to Supergirl. Correct. And in that context, yeah. it worked well enough. 
But yeah, it's a far cry from the, the heights we've reached with Superman and Lois. Yeah. But I guess a similar thing here, you know, the uh, the meat of this show, especially season two on when they brought on Lena, was yeah. that Kara-Lena relationship. It wasn't about Lex. So right. again, he has a very specific function to serve and, and I think he serves it. Well, what's your take on Lena though in this show or, or just generally? Well, it's interesting because again, I didn't finish it. I really do like Lena. And I, I think if anything, the reason I would push through and slog through like three more seasons of 22 episodes is I do want to see where her arc lands. Like does, because it's very interesting, similar to the Clark Lex issue of, of secrets and betrayal. If she tells Lena that she's Kara, there's going to be a fallout. Like, I, I mean, I, I don't know what happens. I've purposely not been spoiled because if, if I ever do decide to spend hours of my life catching up, I am curious. I am really curious how that falls out. So. All right. Well, I won't spoil anything. Good. Uh, well, you know, but let me. Is it you. worth me doing it? That's my question for you. Is it worth me taking like bothering Lana to watch it with me and finish it? There's. Fast forward. Can I fast forward through things? You know what? I I would recommend watching the hundredth episode. Okay. And this isn't really giving anything away, uh, big picture wise. But the premise of that episode, uh, they bring back a slightly different version of Mixius Pitalik, and it's kind of what we wished Smallville had done. A what if Clark had told Lex? It's kind of like that, but you sort of get to see it play out in different scenarios. Oh, all right. I'll watch it. So I would say watch that. And if you're like, oh, I want more, then then go for it. But you might be satiated with that. So I would kind of say watch the 100th episode. Because my my thing with the show has never been casting, actually. I, I enjoy the people they put in the roles. It's just, I think, I've always, again, we've talked about this on, on other podcasts. I, I I bet Supergirl would be an amazing show if it was a 10 or 11 episode season. But that goes for most shows at this point. So, yeah, no. It, look, <laughs> hey, look, I love Smallville, but it goes for Smallville too. You know, if those twenty-two <sighs> episodes had been ten or twelve, yeah. it would have been amazing. Oof. It would have been yeah. even better than it was. But yeah, you know, it, it is what it is. Um, but I, I guess the thing I wanted to ask, with with uh, even without knowing where the, where the show goes, but yeah, the because I guess at, even to the the points you've seen, you've seen Lily and Luther right on Supergirl, yes. mm-hmm. and. When when Lena is initially introduced, or in one of her early episodes, I believe, we see a flashback to Lionel bringing Lena home. And then yeah. in the episode that we watched, you get the revelation, because she thought she was adopted by the Luthers, and we get this revelation. Lex tells her the story, which is apparently true, that uh, that Lionel was her father. Yeah. And Lil, again, Lillian and, and Lex and, and, and Lena, is it too many Luthers... In, who are, I, mean, I mean, Lionel doesn't remain in play, but Lillian, Lena, Lex—it's it cre- its a very different dynamic to have like that family unit. Well, and I think that I think the writers were trying to take a John Glover and then and do it in Brenda Strong, like with Lillian. Like we need somebody to do this to Kara that was this to you know, or this to Lena. Because Lex's character on Smallville works so well because of Lionel. So I think they're just thinking, we need a Lionel. We can't have Lionel. So let's do Lillian. This is a very woman power show. Let's continue to do that. Yeah, I think that's spot on. I, I think that does explain it. I, I don't know how much I, I love it. having yeah. 
<laughs> yeah. yeah, it just it just created a whole different vibe. I, I think it. Yeah. Here's the thing. I think it definitely robs Lex of of some of that uniqueness. But at the, but again, going back to what I was saying, it's not this show is not about him, right? In, in the I, same way that Smallville was. I personally, not to belabor, I just don't see the need for Lex in this show. That's the thing. I didn't think that Lex was needed in Supergirl because I think you could still do the same redeeming arc with Lena and have some things that are confusing and, and, and the, is she bad? Is she not? And play that game quite a bit. But now when you, like you said, you throw Lex in, now it's like, well, now there's just too many. Like now it's almost like Lena's there to be the antithesis to Lex and still offer that question. I think it's just a lot. I think that's the show to me that they kept adding too many characters. That's what ultimately drew me away. Flash did the same kind of stuff to me too. It got too busy. I just wanted to talk about Flash. Yes. Like, yeah. I mean, sad to say I've given up on all of them, obviously, except Superman and Lois. Correct. With, with Lena, you know, I, I don't know to what extent, if any, the comics continue to utilize Lena following that Boy of Steel arc that we read. No. no. Lena Lena was around in the late 90s. Um, as a daughter. A, as a daughter. But um, in the sister, that's no. Yeah. We, we've not seen her. I wouldn't mind that, actually. I oh, think there's no, some. Wait, I think do. there's some. Do we? Well, in rebirth, in rebirth, uh, she's comatose, and that's Lex has. That's one of the motivations, or maybe oh. even the motivation for Lex donning the suit. So, all right, let me okay, I'll walk maybe, that back yeah. a little bit. So there, but I, again, it seems like the role I she serves. About that. That's that's slight, though. Yeah, I guess, and that's the thing. I guess the role she serves is is this, you know, sort of like incapacitated and serving right. as somewhat of a of an inspiration or motivation for Lex. But the Supergirl show and and Smallville. Mm-hmm really position yeah. the character as as more of an agent now of course smallville we don't know that she's lena until <laughs> deep into the run she's introduced right. as tess mercer a nod to mercy from from the animated series and and miss tess mocker from the movie which was a, honestly really kind of a cool misdirect i thought i i think it's like wait who is this really and i actually didn't really see it coming as when, when they hit it with this i don't think the writers saw it coming man i think that they invented Tess Mercer as this amalgam of Mercy and this Tess Mocker. Yeah. And then as they were in the final season, they were like, oh, okay, she could be Lena. But so you have watched Smallville. So, you know, and, and we talked about this, that she does have this redemption yes. arc and she becomes a true ally. And in the episode, it's called Abandoned from season 10 when she discovers her true. Yes. Her, you know, With her, granny goodness. Yeah. Yes. Right. That she. Which that, again, like for yeah, we won't talk about all that. Yeah. <laughs> I think the gist of it, and I haven't gone back to that one really specifically, but I think the gist of it was that, um, you know, Lionel had an affair and fathered her and brought her to Granny Goodness's yeah. orphanage, but then reclaimed her, but her memories were uh, were erased, and then she was adopted by the Mercer family, but then Lex took her on as like a mentee, as a whole thing. Well, and she was a fury, like, oh, I can't. Yeah. <laughs> but in that, in that episode, you know, Clark has this whole thing. He doesn't know any of this about her and she's just discovering it, but he has this whole thing about how Luther blood is poison. And yeah. you know, that really messes with her, but then they have a really lovely heart to heart at the end of it where, you know, he, you know, basically offers her some, <laughs> you know, some hope and that he'll be there for her. Yeah. And he's able, you know, to whatever extent being a Luther mm-hmm. creates this darkness in you or sets you on a path you know, with, with Tess, you know, he's, he's able to help, you yeah. know, guide her towards, you know, towards redemption. So it's, you know, it, well, it, it's almost like he, he feels he couldn't redeem Lex. So he, he needed to do it with Tess. The final words that Clark says to Lex on Smallville, 
and mind wipe aside, but the final words are, I'm sorry, I couldn't save you. It, you know, it, it's heartbreaking. And the, the first time they met, it was, Clark, you know, Clark saving Lex, uh, yeah. you know, when, when they literally off the bridge, yeah. right. He was able to save the body, but not yeah. the soul over the course yeah. of the series. And, and, you know, that, that will haunt him, but I think with Lex, the ultimate, if one of the biggest moments that really kind of hurt the relationship too, is when Clark sees the museum. Yeah. Like when Clark ultimately finds the room in the mansion, that is the museum that Lex has been investigating him for all this time. I think that's also a big linchpin in that relationship where Clark then ultimately gets scared to bring Lex in. Yes. Yeah. At the end of season three, when, when he finds that room that Lex has been yeah. keeping on him, he sa- he literally says to Lex, this friendship is over and they're able to patch things up to an extent yeah. in season four, but it's never no. quite the same. And then at the start of season five in the second episode, yep. you know, Lex sets up this test, right? Where he releases inmates uh, from meteor freaks from Bell Reeve and sets them against, uh, you yeah. know, sends them to the Kent farm. And, you know, Clark realizes this and they have, it's a, it's a very heated exchange at the end and there's fists flying and cause Clark is powerless at, at this point. And that really was the end of them as friends. Yeah. I mean, if the listeners haven't figured out yet that you and I are like (laughs) all in on Smallville, like that really is one of just as say what you will. It really is one of the best shows that they ever did from a comics book standpoint. Uh, Yes, I stand by that. And especially with respect to Lex, if nothing else, having watched a bunch of scenes and episodes back to back, it's a very strong arc. And that yeah. take on Lex, you talk about amalgams of, of different eras, you know, there, obviously you have the the history with Clark and Lex and Smallville very much hearkening back to, to pre-crisis and the fact that a father figure is playing such a prominent role. I mean, that really, that we're really breaking new ground there yeah. with that. Yeah. Uh, but you also have the, the business, the businessman angle and just like the post-crisis version, he, he deals with scientists, but he's not the one doing it himself. So, you know, and he's never in a war suit or anything like that, but he has the kryptonite ring. Like you really get, and I think a nice blend of the different eras. I really do think that the late nineties and early two thousands, as much as they always had to hearken back to like having the Donner verse as history, I think anybody doing anything now will hearken back to Smallville as that same kind of history. Like, Hey, let's look back to how they did it right here. That's the most recent modern telling. What can we do to either use that or come from that? I think that's how it's going to turn out. I'm with you, man. Well, we just hit the two hour mark and yeah, baby. we've covered a lot of ground. <laughs> Is there anything else about the, the nemesis of, of the two thousands, that iteration of Luther that we didn't talk about that you wanted to? No, we nailed so much. And I, I, I do think a lot of this is my, some of my favorite stories of Lex, I think from Smallville through Up, Up and Away and Birthright. I really, that's where I go when I see Lex in my head a lot of times. I totally agree with Smallville. And, and I think I, I, maybe now, certainly more so than before, mm-hmm. I, I would say the same about some of these other comic book stories yeah. that we've read. I, I've really I've really come around to them in a way that I didn't think I would when I was reading them when they first came out. So, Which is the whole point of what we're doing, man. Like it's, it's thinking, you know, about this and that's like, Ooh, now I got, I can kind of wrestle with this myself and, and, and argue a little bit with what I thought I knew. It's one of the true joys of doing this podcast. And I think as a yeah. fan, it's like you can, you can experience your fandom however you want. And some people yes. think one thing about something and they're never going to change. And 
it's like, that's fine. But I don't find that as interesting. It's like, it's, it's been such a fascinating experience to challenge a lot of these views that I had and, 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 and especially to do so in this larger context, because there's so much, that's the thing. Like there's so much when I was reading these stories the first time around that even if I knew kind of like the broad strokes of pre like I didn't totally yeah. get everything that was happening. And now I see yeah. what's being pulled from and it's a much richer experience for sure. I think anything in our lives that we truly believe in and care about, it's important that we ask questions like that. I think it makes it even more special to us. And that's why it's a fan journey. Sure. All right, my friend. Well, thank you as always for being part of this. Uh, people should check out the comic shop that you are affiliated with, Oh Yeah Comics. Yep, Oh Yeah Comics in Skokie, Illinois. Beautiful downtown Skokie. Excellent. Uh, well, it's always a pleasure, Bernie. I look forward to uh, the next time that we're able to do this. Uh, audience, thank you for listening. Make sure you come back next week for the conclusion of the villain of the story. Uh, returning guest Ralph Puma will be joining me and we're going to be looking at Lex the Ideologue. So we'll be looking at stories such as Brian Azzarello's Man of Steel, Grant Morrison's All-Star Superman, and Zack Snyder's Batman v Superman. So it'll be a really interesting one as we close out this event. Until then, remember, it's about what you do. It's about action. The spinoff podcast, Digging for Justice, a DC fan journey, is available now exclusively at patreon.com slash anthonydesiato starting at the $1 level. New episodes release monthly, and many more rewards are available too, including a robust back catalog of bonus podcasts. Thank you to all patrons for enabling me to produce this show.